Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 276th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that provides food for thoughts and trolls alike. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, I got my ass kicked doing Modern Horizons 2 drafts last night. Went in with zero research, and it is not the kind of format you want to do that with. I don't understand. They put that little tip card in the draft packs to tell you what all the archetypes are. What else could you need? <laughs> so in the first one I got, I was playing red-white uh, modular, which is just way too much of a fair deck unless you get some of the broken uh, activators. And I was playing against a red-green squirrel storm deck with Chatterstorm where they went off and made like 20 squirrels. And then I was jealous of that, so I tried to draft that same deck, and I got four of the card, but never managed to make more than four squirrels at a time. <laughs> and yeah, felt felt like I'm gonna need some practice on that one. Uh, yeah, those you know these draft formats are for the enfranchised player, so they are not messing around. There's some very busted things you can do in MH2 draft, but you need to understand the archetype well and understand which obscure cards. Are seem weird or middling, but are actually essential pieces of your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just need to spend some more time with the format. I believe that. Uh, I have not What's played on... it, so I have no insight for you. What's on the agenda this week? Uh, well, this week I figured we would start off uh, with segment one, our MTGO metagame we can review. We have two modern challenges to spin through, take a look at how Modern Horizons is developing. Segment two, our top paper movers. We'll look at the cards that have moved the most in price because of Modern Horizons. Uh, segment th- And then that's followed by the empty geo movers as well. Segment three, uh, our cards to watch. Some stuff James and I like the uh, future on. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. Something you have opted to call planning specs for complex sets. Uh, but let's jump in here at the top. The MTGO metagame we can review We've got first up the modern challenge from June thirteenth. Uh, I see you've <laughs> titled this Jeskai Monkey Blade, uh, presumably because it uses Ragavan and Stoneforge Mystic. Correct. I actually watched this unfold, uh, at least for the top eight um, for this particular challenge. Deck looked really strong. Uh, it's got uh, a couple of different angles going on. You're you know you're dropping Ragavan early and getting in for some beats, which is accelerating your mana if he lands. Um, and setting up some cards off your opponent's top of your opponent's deck, which may randomly be useful or may be completely useless. Um, and this is basically Jeskai 
control that's just using Ragavan and Stoneforge Mystic as your attack plan. But, you know, the majority of the deck is things like Archmage's Charm, Counterspell, Cryptic Command, Force of Negation, Lightning Bolt, um, and very notably here and elsewhere, uh, Prismatic Ending has been completely displacing Path to Exile. In a format where there are some very low-slung decks, like the Blue-Red Prowess deck, which is clearly Tier 1 still, even after all the testing, that you really don't want to be giving extra basics to, people have switched almost entirely over to Prismatic Ending, usually as a 2 two or 3 of, and it's been doing a lot of work despite it being a sorcery speed. I, I caught that as well, just how much Prismatic Ending I was seeing. Um to the point where I was like, ah, oh, can I get the 10 spec on this yet? But, you know, it's it's still in pre-order, so it's a little too early to go in on it. But clearly a a popular removal spell and one that looks like it's going to really set up shop as a major plan, removal plan in the format going forward that's going to be right, right alongside Fatal Push and, like, Lightning Bolt. I've been... I mean, one of the things is that it doesn't just target creatures. You can get rid of a Renin 6 with it. Um, because it's any permanent. If you're playing against Lantern Control, you can get rid of a key, uh, one of their elements. And the there's an old border foil version. That's probably the one people want to keep their eye on. Yeah, which is the, which is the one that shows up on the wizard site too. Um, not foil, but the old border. And uh, it did catch my eye, but I was like, hmm, probably not time yet, but there will be a time. But yes, I would agree that one of the over, you know, the the main themes that I picked up on flipping through here was how much of that card I was seeing. Now, clearly the meta is not fully settled. It's going to take probably another two to four weeks for people to figure out what actually constitutes tier one, tier two in, in modern right now. But Ragavan, the debate over Ragavan, I think, is already looking pretty dated. The card does a ton of work as a one drop. And yes, it, it dies to a bunch of things. Yes, they can block it relatively easily if they have creatures. But that's not really what matters. It It's all about how you can spend the rest of your mana to make sure it gets in. Uh, I don't... Like, like, you play Ragavan, they play a creature. You bolt the creature, get in with Ragavan, you exile one of their cards and get a treasure token. Mm. And... You're, you might have, you know, it's turn two now, so you've got a land up plus a treasure token. So on their next turn, they try to put something else in front of Ragavan, and you, or they try to kill Ragavan, and you counterspell it. And then you just keep rolling. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, if you can get through unimpeded, uh, it's, a, it's a building advantage, and it makes it more reasonable to spend resources to push them through um, as you go. I, I would agree that the one of the other major stories here that I picked up on looking through this is that the format has already shifted considerably just from the last week we recorded. When we recorded last week, there were a ton of Shardless Agent decks. And I've seen way fewer of those this week. They're not gone, but there's a lot fewer of them than there were last week. So there's it's still so much in flux at the moment. Yeah, there's, there was te- the Teamer and Four Color um, uh, Rhino decks are still in play and i've seen seen a variety of different iterations on those in the last week it's not clear to me yet whether that deck is real or going to fade uh one point on that topic though is that as we're told a very hot selling pre-order um as the suspend cards were being revealed for modern horizons 2 way of the dinosaur 
it's nowhere to be found in any of the lists. The preferred way to flip over suspend cards is definitely Shardless Agent. And there is another version of the list that's using Ardent Plea. And um, some decks are using uh, Finale of, not Devastation, Promise. Finale of Promise, the red one. Uh, but almost nobody is leaning on As Foretold because they just don't want to... They don't want to put a dead permanent on the board that doesn't immediately translate into compounding value. Yeah, I mean, it's possible there's a future for that somewhere, but we're not there now. Yeah, and, and I just think like, there's, there's cards like, you know, as foretold may just never be good enough in these decks moving forward. Because if they give them another key piece of the puzzle and it brings them back onto the stage, as foretold probably still wouldn't make that deck. Because it's then fighting for slots against whatever that new free casting enabler is. And... Ditto with things like Path to Exile. Like the occasional deck may choose to run Path. It's possible the meta shifts at some at some point more into a mid rangey space, but probably not. Like I think like Path's reign in Modern might just be over. Like it it might just be prismatic ending sixty or seventy percent of the time now. If, if you can even consider that having been a reign, but yes. <laughs> well, I mean Path to Exile has been a default oh. counter spell in any deck. I'm sorry, you said you said path, and my brain was still on as foretold. Yeah, no, no, pa- path's reign. I agree. It's it's hard to imagine path being gone completely, but I do think that it will be reasonable to see a good split. It's it's pretty funny because Channel Fireball, of course, got all those beautiful path to exile uh, full board, full art variants with the stained glass angel wings. Mm-hmm. last year and then they didn't get to hand them out because there was no gps because of covid and so they were trying to sell them on their website as parts of bundles and lots of people bought them thinking well it's path like they're never going to give us better removal in white than path hmm. and yet here we are prismatic ending looks like it's doing, uh, the, doing the work that path used to yeah actually if they're going to keep printing all this stuff uh you know one monoplaneswalkers and nonsense like that turns out that card's actually useful well, and as we're going to see in the modern challenge on June 14th, even when it wasn't Path, it was Solitude, which is also, which is more of a Swords to Plowshares variant. So, you know, between Solitude and Prismatic Ending, you're going to have a lot of trouble finding room for Path in your deck. The So anyway, Jeskai Monkey Blade looks very real, um, and there's a bunch of different ways to tune this kind of a shell. Uh, one of the things I think is worth flagging is that Stoneforge Mystic is this seven eight card package that you can just slip into a bunch of other shells that maybe don't have a fully formulated synergistic game plan and it just works you know you can you can put it into aggro decks you can put it into death and taxes type decks you can you can staple it on humans if you want to there are all sorts of weird brews and this is just like a bunch of Counter spells, control cards, a couple planeswalkers, the Stoneforge Mystic package, and then four seemingly random Ragavans. And I'm sure if this deck had been formulated just randomly on Twitter like three weeks ago, people would have just said, ah, that's like, there's no synergy there. That's not going to work out. But clearly, they would have been wrong. Yeah. So uh, Stoneforge has been like that for a while where it, you know, it functions very well as just a, it, you know, if you're playing a deck that's remotely mid-range, somewhere in the vein of mid-range, like isn't a hyper-specific deck, if you're just essentially playing, trying to play something approaching fair magic, it's just like, why not play Stoneforge Mystic if you can? That's well, so one of the other things about, about Prismatic Ending is that uh, it gets better if you're running Teferi Time Raveler, because Teferi's plus 
ability lets you cast sorceries as though they were instants. So it turns Prismatic Ending into an instant speed removal spell on your opponent's turn. Yeah, that is true. That, uh, you know, one of those those cases where upgrading the sorcery to an instant can be considerably relevant. So moving along, there was actually two blue-black mill decks in this top eight on the 13th. One of them was using the new mill card that mills 14, Fractured Sanity, eight crabs, and basically none of the other big mill cards except for Archive Trap. So no Glimpse the Unthinkable and no Fractured Sanity. No, not Fractured Sanity. Um, whatever the one is from Zendikar Rising that we recommended as a spec at one point. Um, the second place list didn't run either of the two mana ones, but did run four Counterspell. Uh, so you see both the first and second place decks, completely different shells, both running Counterspell. And I've seen Counterspell in enough shells at this point that I think the question of whether it's good enough for Modern has been answered. <laughs> it's still Counterspell, and uh, it's not broken in Modern, but it's very, very good, and you're going to see a lot of it. Um, I'm working on a je- uh, a variant on Jeskai Monkey Blade, which is Jeskai Scepter, where you basically put either uh, Path or Bolt or Counterspell or Silence on the Scepter, and you have Ragavan running point again. And then you can run Flame Scroll Celebrant, which I bet bet you anything is a card you're going to have to look up from Strix. Uh, It's a one and a red for a two one on one side, Human Shaman. Whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a mana ability, Flame Scroll Celebrant deals one to that player. And for one and a red, you can give it plus two, plus zero to the end of turn, so it can swing for four. So if you get something good like a Silence or a Counterspell on your Isochron Scepter, you can start swinging with Ragavan or a Snapcaster Mage or a Flame Scroll Celebrant and start getting in for some serious damage. And if you're playing against some of the good decks right now include Food and the Blue-Black Lantern Control decks looking pretty good. And Lantern Control is in deep shit against a Flame Scroll Celebrant <laughs> because they they want to activate artifacts like five, six, seven times a turn. So they're gonna uh, take a lot of damage. That is kind of funny that you're uh it's one of those cards that like kind of meta dependent where it might not be like that good, but in the right scenario like that, you know, if there's a couple decks floating around with a lot of activated abilities, its stock goes way up. Well the funny thing about it is the flip side is Revel in Silence which is a two-mana silence. Your opponents can't cast spells or activate Planeswalker loyalty abilities this turn. Exile, Revel, and Silence. So I'm pretty sure, given the new rules, you can't put this one on a Isochron Scepter because I think it counts as four mana. I'm not 100%. But you don't necessarily need to put it on a silence because A, the other side of it can be good in certain situations against certain decks. And B, once you get the silence train rolling... Even if you only time walk them for a couple of turns, like say two out of four turns, that should be enough. Because <laughs> if your other plays were Ragavan and then a Lightning Bolt or a Path, you should have cleared the way and built up enough uh, resource advantage that you, you can you can get some work rolling. So, uh, probably not going to get there, but lots of interesting things to be trying, given the presence of both Ragavan and Counterspell in the format. Yogmoth. Yogmoth creature combo was in third, notably running two Grist, the uh, insect planeswalker, four Ignoble Hierarch, four Core to Calling, and four Yogmoth. Uh, Blue Black Mill in fourth it's, is. You say Yogmoth creature combo, and I'm like, wait, they didn't. 
I'm like, I didn't see the green Yogmoth's will show up. What is he talking about? I'm like, oh, that's right. Actually, Yogmoth. I hear Yogmoth, and I just think yeah. about the new Yogmoth's will. Yeah. Uh, w- that card, Gaia's will, is completely absent. Yeah. Nobody seems to have found a use for it anywhere. And that blows my mind. But I guess part of it is that if you're in a deck that's running a lot of suspend stuff, and you're going to end up with suspend cards in the graveyard those can't be cast off the will yeah i don't think that if you're if you're playing that deck i don't think you're trying to play a lot of suspend cards it's probably one of the only ones yeah Um, but you want to have a really low slung deck i'm actually curious whether you can do like teamer splash it in uh blue red prowess with shardless agents or something i don't know there's there's got to be it's a tough nut to crack, but there, that card has to be breakable at some point. One would imagine. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just stuck it into, essentially just end up sticking it in Storm and having, um, you know, a couple small ways to cast it and then turning it into a, what's effectively a cheaper Pass in Flames. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I bought some foil, ex- like a variety of the variants Foil extended art, foil old border Japanese for very cheap prices. There was just ridiculous sales on Japanese premium cards in Japan this weekend. So many things mispriced. Um, I think I spent about six grand in twenty four hours in Japan. Oh boy, the, going uh, going the town. Stuff like two hundred dollar Japanese old border foil scalding turns. I have no idea if that's going to drop to one fifty or go to straight to three hundred, but. I'm willing to roll some dice and find out. Doesn't seem terrible. So, yeah. Bottom line, the will's no, nowhere to be found. But Amulet Titan is still very much in uh, in tier 1, tier 1.5 contention. Um, it only got better because now they have four Urza Saga. So they can use the Saga to go get the, the Amulet if somehow you blow up the first one. And mm-hmm. that is just ridiculous in a deck that already has good ways to search up lands and... Yeah, it's it's I, ugly. So Amulet Titan was fifth and sixth here in the June thirteenth challenge. I was trying to figure out how to what the angle on this deck was, and I wasn't able to find it. I, you know, the the old border primeval titans were my best bet, but even that, I don't feel like it's quite at the right angle yet. Um, if Titan wasn't banned in EDH, it would be a red hot spec. Well, yeah, but that if it weren't banned in EDH, that old border foil probably wouldn't be $75 either. Yep. <laughs> well, that's just it, right? <laughs> so if you, like, and the dry to the Elysian Groves, I looked those up, and they're pretty brutal right now, too. I think, I I, I didn't pick them this week. Truth be told, they're, like, a, a, a pseudo pick for me. Um, you had picked them not that long ago, and you, your pick was, like, 25 to 40 or 25 to 60 or something like that, which they already hit, by the way, so you're yeah. that pick from last year's is good already and at 75 ish or so i think they're probably still good uh likely up to i'm honest to god they might be 150 or more um but i didn't put them on my sheet but they were something i had was thinking about because what product are you going to see that card in anytime soon yeah it's it's super theros specific there's nothing announced or rumored because there's a rumor of all the sets for next year that's floating around and it may be partially true it may be completely untrue it may be totally true but nothing that i've heard of anywhere is something where dryad would show up so that means secret layers the most likely it could show up in the list you know the usual suspects um pretty pretty much anything would represent 
a drag, but not a a wholesale removal of the card from consideration. Yeah. Like, you know, secret layer copy or whatever. So seventh place we had five color Niv Mizzet. That's got most of the cards it's had for a while. The the two the most notable inclusion is the one that everybody predicted once they saw it. Two general Ferris Rockerick. Uh, because anytime you cast a multicolor spell, you get a 4-4 Golem, which is pretty gross. Um, so they made room for two copies of that card. And then the food deck is looking entirely real. Like People have been running it through leagues over and over and over again, refining it. There's a bunch of different versions of it. I've seen people trying to make it work with Urza. Um, and there's versions that are more on the Asmo uh, Troll King plan more specifically. Um, I flagged that Bone Shards is another one of these uh, removal spells from Modern Horizons 2 that has been under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. Because I don't think they realized that the additional text on this card makes it more flexible than versions, iterations of this kind of card we've gotten in the past. It's just a one black sorcery um, that destroys target creature or planeswalker. But the or planeswalker is part of is half the new flexibility. The other half is, as an additional cost to cast the spell, we've seen sack a creature before. But it adds or discard a card. Mm-hmm. So in the food deck, you want to discard Asmo into play because that's the only way you can do it. So Bone Shards killing whatever, my Teferi or my Ragavan or my whatever. And also with your second man of that turn, dumping Asmo into play as a result. Mwah, that's the chef kiss, as they say. Yeah. Sacri- th- discarding a card um, is only a semi penalty in modern and anyone who has been a long-term modern brewer knows that finding that text on very cheap cards that have other utility is a godsend if you are trying to put together something stupid like well especially because in this to do because in this deck if you discard oval chase daredevil you can use the underworld cookbook uh uh is that true Whenever, yeah, because whenever an artifact comes into play, you get to return the Daredevil to your hand. So that's going to be bouncing back to your hand regardless of whether you use Cookbook to get it into the graveyard or you do it as a side effect of the Bone Shards. And then, of course, you want Feasting Troll King if you draw it to get knocked into the yard. So it's all upside. Cauldron mm-hmm. Familiar can get brought back into play, so you don't mind discarding that either. And they're also running a Bloodgast. I mean, basically, most of their options for discarding are good ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's like, oh, this isn't even really a, a downside. It's just a side grade, essentially, occasional upside. So we'll try to slide through the modern challenge from the 14th as well. Uh, plenty of spice over here. First place deck uh, in this top eight was completely unique versus the other top eight. This is Bant Ephemerate. Four Teferi Time Raveler, four Eladomri's Call, four Ephemerate, two Path to Exile, three Abundant Harvest, so Oko's pick from several weeks ago, looking better and better. I saw Canister posted a tweet this morning saying that he's been running it in uh, Amulet Titan and really likes it. Yeah, I also saw, I'm pretty sure it was Ari Lax, comment that he uh, was going to dedicate like two-thirds of his whatever podcast he's on to talking about that card this week because he thinks it's somewhere between Ponder and Preordain on power level. Uh, and like there's no, we talked about the Mystical Archive as a pick. Um, I don't remember if it was an official one or not. And there's no, like... It was Oko's. Well, what was it? it was his pick. That was what yeah, it was. Staff pick. Um, 
it's it i i haven't bought brought myself to buy any yet but i feel like i'm probably just supposed to because it's uh i feel like because, that musical archive could end up real good in the not too far long future because it's in print via the set boxes for mh2 and will be for the whole year yeah so you're not gonna get another copy within the calendar year feel confident about that especially because they knew it was going to be good from their own testing and prefaced its appearance in modern horizons 2 by giving us the premium copy in mystical archives so they're gonna like you know dust their hands and be like okay that's good for now and you're probably gonna get another like a secret layer version in two years so definitely worth keeping your eye on that mystical archives foil pick because uh and I would go, I actually think that the an argument can be made that the English version is the better of the two. Uh, oh, in yeah. Terms, in terms of art. I actually completely agree. I am not interested in the Japanese one at all. I want the, uh, whatchamacallit one, for that reason specifically. I think the Japanese one is just a little too anime, possibly. And the English one is solid. So there's a bunch of uh, creature value in this deck but it's all based on it's all comes into play abilities that ephemerate gives you extra value on they also run for for other vial of course since they have 19 creatures uh, there's some interesting ones in here there's a thassa deep dwelling because thassa is basically ephemerate on a stick right yeah at the beginning of your end step you get to do a little ephemerate trick um two solitude because if you blink that in and out then it uh exiles a creature Mm-hmm. Um, and then like onesie twosies of a whole bunch of different stuff uh, and their eternal witness as a four of the only creature they run four of because eternal witness can go get the ephemerate and the thing about ephemerate remember is that it rebounds so the first you as you bring back uh, ephemerate with eternal witness the first either the first or the second instance can be used to blink the eternal witness and get the ephemerate back uh, actually, I guess that has to be the first instance, right? Uh, well, when you cast Ephemerate, it's ex- it rebound exiles it, if memory serves. Oh, they, it's written on here. Yeah, yeah you're right, it exiles it. it. So you can't get it. Uh... But I think once you... On the rebound, it ends up back mm-hmm. in the yard, right? Yes, on the rebound, it will go back to the graveyard. So on this, on the second time... You can blink the witness as part of the resolution of the second ephemerate. It ends up in the yard and witness can get it back again. Believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's gross. Uh, anyway, so this this is an archetype that is not, is basically ephemerate. Like this deck doesn't exist in this form without that card. Yeah, and what's interesting here is like this this build right here, the, the first place from the 15th. 14th. 14th. We have the four ephemerate, which is not new. Ephemerate's been around for a little while. And uh, it's like solitude. It's, it's kind of it, right? Like the Thassa and Sanctifier on Vec is a one of. But, That's but the, I'm looking at Modern Horizons 2 cards in this. Yeah, Sanct- Sanctifier on Vec is the other one. Which is a one of. So it's not even mm-hmm. like this is a new, bi- a new build. Abundant Harvest, that was in Strixhaven. And it's got the one prismatic ending. But those are... They're minor players most for the most part. So this is primarily uh, already existed in the format, yep. and we didn't yep. see as much of it. So I'm, I'm, I mean, the solitude is good, but they're only playing two. Yep, I'm very, I'm very curious to see whether this is a consistent player or just a lucky day. 
Uh, second place in this challenge was Blue Red Prowess, pretty much looking exactly as it has for a while. Um, then the food deck uh, in third in this one instead of eighth in the other one. For Finale of Devastation, that would be the green mythic from War of the Spark that's worth keeping an eye on because if food stays present in the meta, that is a major uptick in how many people need to be running that card because uh, it was already seen in green-white creature builds, and this will be a second, entirely second shell that would also need four copies of it. Mm-hmm. Four Asmo, four Troll King, four Witches Oven. Uh, and then in fourth place, the aforementioned green-white creature combo with uh, Eldar Recall and Heliod and all that nonsense. Affinity has proven itself relatively early with the the new build that we had talked about up front. You know, is this going to be enough? They're kind of signaling they want us to play with this. Turns out it's good. Uh, it's, most of the stuff you used to see, like Hardened Scales, Ozolith, Arcbound Ravager, but now they get Zabaz as a four of, which can activate your modular action by destroying your own artifacts. If you drop a bunch of modulars onto Zabaz, you can give Zabaz flying and fly in. And then they get Power Depot, which is a multicolor land that's also an artifact that has modular. So you can sack the land once you get beyond the land count you need to operate and get some modular triggers. And then, of course, they get to run four Urza Saga as well, which lets them go get zero or one casting cost artifacts. Yeah, it's it's not clear to me whether it's Zabaz or Urza Saga that really turned this stuck on all of a sudden. Um, and, you know, once Urza Saga is banned, which feels already almost feels like a foregone conclusion, uh, we'll see if it manages to maintain, because that is a very potent land for this deck, for sure. As good as Zabaz is, Urza Saga is also very good. But given that there's also everyone else is playing Urza Saga in the format, and they're going to lose it as well. So we'll see if it can keep up. I, I will tell you that I, I sold the Hardened Scales today, and I haven't sold one in a little while um probably because i'm a little greedy with my pricing so that tells me people are are putting it together um but i am not going to be in a rush to kind of spec on this essentially until urza saga does what it's going to do the good upfront specs that were available once the affinity stuff started getting revealed during pre-order season was ozolith foil extended arts at the top end of their curve as they were sliding out of the market already that got accelerated. The Arcbound Ravager masterpiece inventions still in dispute with the vendor in Europe who doesn't want to ship the ones that I got for a sweet deal. I love that. They went up in price. I'm not selling them. All right. Pretty much. Respect the respect the honesty. <laughs> uh, so the eighth place list here was also interesting. It was like a 80-card Yorion Death and Taxes build with stuff like Giver of Rune, Sky Clave Apparition, Four Solitude, not two, four, Four Ether Vial, and... Uh, a bunch of other stuff you would see in those kind of lists. And Yorion gives them the blink value. People just do not seem scared to go up 20 cards to, in exchange for Yorion. If your cards are good, you don't have to be scared. And it really Seems does end up... playing out. One of the things that's nice here is uh, Imperial Recruiter. Um, playing a role that I've heard various streamers... Uh, talking about in the context that some people are putting shardless agents in decks that they should not be. Uh, so, for instance, in humans, people were experimenting with shardless agent pretty much right out of the gate. But if you if, if you vial in a shardless agent and you just flip over, you know, a relatively innocuous thing like uh, a three bit inspector or something, it's not enough to really justify the play pattern. 
Whereas if you play Imperial Recruiter, you get to search your entire library for the right creature and put it into play. So if you're going with a three drop alongside Vile, Recruiter seems much better than Shardless Agent. Y- yeah. Uh, because it's, I don't know. It's, the I... Difference, it's the difference between getting a random thing that might not impact the current board state versus a very specific thing. Well... Yes, I, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that neither of us are experts on the format here. So ultimately, we will have to defer to the people who know better. My instinct is that that's it's not the, the most uh, honest comparison because Shardless Agent gets you a random card, but it casts it as well. So it draws you a random card and then you get two free mana. Whereas Imperial Recruiter draws you a specific card, but you have to pay for it. Um, so that's the difference. Sure, but we're talking about Vile decks, where either the Recruiter or the card you search up with it is probably going to get Viled. Uh, if you have nothing else to Vile. I, I mean, it's in some way you are paying to cast that card if you got it with Imperial Recruiter, whether you're paying with Vermont with Mon or paying with a Aether Vile activation. In some way, you are not getting it for free, because you could if you played Vile in a um, Shardless deck, which I don't know if you would, but if you did, you could Shardless cast whatever you hit with it and then Vile something else, right? So. I'm just saying there's 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 nuances to it. I have no idea which one's going to end up being better. Imperial Recruiter, though, could end up being pretty significant in Modern, and it, a lot of people were talking about it beforehand, um, before the list really started to come out. So it's definitely on my radar as, as something to be keeping an eye on, and I haven't checked the prices on it. It, it has a foil borderless that is definitely worth keeping your eye on as as prices start to collapse this week. What's uh, what's that bad boy at? Oh, it's probably real high. Like everything is still way too high on the fancy versions of stuff. Like the EV is still in a position yeah. where it's got to fall thirty or forty percent oh, at least this weekend. Too looks like seventy-five at the moment, which is pretty brutal, I think. But you know, if it's seventy-five yeah. for the extended art foil right now, I wouldn't be surprised if this if this doesn't get much lower than like forty-five. I'd be looking to get in on these close to 30, 30 to 50. I'm really biased, like poisoned now against the TCG price, even potential for this weekend, because Japan had so many ridiculous deals last yeah. weekend. Like if, I, was, if I picked you up to foil. Do that, then it just, it, uh, what is that term? There's a term for this. Uh, poisons the well, essentially. Yeah. I mean, like, I picked up like foil sort of hearth and home borderless Japanese for 16 or something and the non-foils for nine yeah I saw your screenshot and I was like I don't know that website but James needs to tell me what damn vendor he's using because <laughs> those prices were well I mean one, one of my carts was just straight off of Harry Yuya. that's the same that? thing everybody else can use to order um, but thing cards like cradle Yavimaya Cradle of Growth. I was just snapping off anything and everything that, like, almost any version of that card seems fine on the mid to long term, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're, I mean, at the prices you're talking about there, sure, you just pay it and don't care. All right. So let's move on to top paper movers of the week. Most of this is modern driven. So we got Spire of Industry foils huh. <laughs> out of Ether Revolt, seven to ten dollars. That's not a huge gain, but it shows that people are starting to pull cards together for versions of Affinity and Paper. Um, 
This is a pick of mine from way back. It's got to be three years Two now years. or something. Yeah. It's been, I know, it was rotting in my bad specs box because Affinity was doing well when Heart and Scales showed up and then started to fade off the radar slowly over about a two-year period and then just kind of disappeared from the meta. And Spire's just been sitting ever since. Um, and then it, I guess it was back on the agenda when Urza first appeared, uh, like Urza Emery packages. And then they got rid of Mox Opal, and then those decks retreated. And it's interesting because now Emery is very much back on the agenda. I, t- I think I made her a pick in uh, non-foil extended art last week because I've seen her in all sorts of lists this week. In Blue Black Lantern, in food decks, um, because people are bringing back baubles. They're, they're bringing back um, a variety of different things that are necessary in the format. The Lantern deck was using Emery to recurse a Pyrite spell bomb to take care of opposing Ragavans and so forth when I was watching stream earlier. So I, pre- I presume the rise of Emery is tied to the introduction of Urza Saga. Right, like people are, everyone's um, is playing that land now and playing artifacts to support it. So Emery just got that much more interesting. Yeah, because there's a people are trying to overload the board uh, with artifacts so that the saga tokens are bigger. Um, and in the food well, decks, it makes sense because that's you know they're making a bunch of food tokens. So Emery is cheaper to cast, and the you can mill stuff into the yard that you can bring back with her later that can reinforce the board further. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragon Lord of Tarka foils from uh, Dragons of Tarkir, 24 to 36. That's just one of several uh, relatively rare single printing mythic dragons and rare dragons that are going to take off as we get closer to that D&D set. And I think previews on that must start within two weeks or so. I mean, hmm. God, we got, we got like a, two weeks to see a new magic card. How awful. We've got a little bit of a breath here, but then uh, they're going to start hitting us with the D&D stuff. Uh, Sanctum Prelate, uh, Conspiracy 2 copies, non-foil, 40 to 64. I sold some copies in the low 40s and high 30s recently and started looking into it. And I was like, oh, yeah, the Sanctum Prelate is in Modern Horizons, in, quote-unquote, Modern Horizons 2, but it's a buy box promo and it's foil. So oh. non-foil copies, of course they're going to take off because they're new to Modern and people are sliding them into various lists. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I was I, I meant to say this a couple a moment ago and I forgot is uh, I, what we're I think we're seeing here is sort of a convergence of two factors, which is is it's not just the you give Modern Horizons two right, which is reinvigorating modern, pushing players to that format again. Everyone's excited about it, and at the same time, for a lot of people, they're returning to their card stores or they're just about to return. I know in New York. Um, just a couple hours ago, Cuomo announced that restrictions were pretty much gone, and my buddies were talking about it and said one of our local stores was looking to start modern real soon, and I bet that's the case all over the place. So you have all these people who are you know, just about ready to go back to the store, and modern is sounding pretty exciting again. Uh, so you, I, for, uh, honestly, it almost seems like we're not seeing enough movement here. Like I would have expected a little more. I mean, the format is still shaping up. So, but that makes it fun. That's yeah. when you want to play. This is the best time to play a, to play modern or any format like this because it's just like I can do anything. I, I haven't you can't, played, but you think you can. <laughs> I, yeah, true. I haven't played modern for two years on Magic Online, and I realized I have a rental account that I'm supposed to be using to 
rent cards and or short stuff, which I'm barely using. So I was like, I was like, whoa, I could actually just use this to rent cards and play a deck. That's that's crazy. <laughs> wait, wait, people use rent cards to do something other than short them. <laughs> so I was like, I, I could like rent some actual cards and play an actual deck. Um, and yeah, and then my deck will be bad and I'll get spanked and then I'll crawl back in my hole at some point. But yeah, it seems fun to play modern right now. All right, so we've got uh, Marriott Reed Barrett. That's my pronunciation of time spiral, time shifted foils going from 35 to 80 on the back of Post Malone. Rapper, magic player, command zone participant showing up with that deck to play. Uh, Much Ado was made of his appearance. Oh, it's so cool when the Hollywood stars deign to play our nerd game with us. Now, I'm going to tell you something here. It's going to poison your brain. I'm not much of a Post Malone fan. Sure. But I saw, I just, just, the music's not quite my speed. I saw a tweet that is so bad, it's going to make you physically ill. They they watched Into the Spider-Verse, and you know the uh, Hello Danger scene where he jumps off the skyscraper? Yeah. Like, the pivotal emotional climax of that movie, essentially, of that movie is like, oh, this scene would have been way better if they put an orchestral score to it. <laughs> I got so angry, and I went back and watched that scene, and I got even angrier. I'm like, this take is so bad. I am excused for everything bad I have ever said because this is so much worse. I mean, it's, he's not a director, and he smokes a lot of drugs, so he's, I'm, I'm not not perturbed one way or the I other. Just, I just, I just, I just, I can't believe I had to lay eyes on those words. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's really. I mean, it is pretty cool to to see a figure like that on what's you know borderline pseudo homespun product. Uh, I mean, you have a tremendous amount of production value involved, and Wizards is. Certainly glad to see it happening, uh, but really it's, it is at its core a labor of love. And even if I don't, you know, don't care for Post Malone's music, I can appreciate that it's it's a cool thing for that to exist, um, and it's going to matter to other people. And you know, realistically, there's not a lot of games out there that have a that as a major component. Like you don't you don't really see, you know, stars uh, going to bat for their favorite hobby game. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm sorry, I was trying to remember her name. Uh, bad guy, uh, the Billie Eilish. Like, you don't hear her talking about like um, COD or Animal Crossing or anything like that. Like, they don't. It doesn't happen very often. So, well, it, well you're much the, more likely to see it for video games than you are for anything else. True, but but in true. the the physical nerd gaming world, it's very rare. Yes, it's just interesting to see, it's interesting to see it happen in any capacity because across the spectrum of nerdy hobbies, you don't hear from celebrities too often. Now, too now often. the now the episode was a little contentious. Did you watch it? No. no I... So, without spoiling too much, the because I'm assuming anybody who cares has watched it by now. The I, mean, I, I certainly don't care, and if somebody super cares, they can skip forward thirty seconds. So Jimmy had a infinite combo oh, in play and oh, could yeah. and was able to win the game on the spot. Mm-hmm. And through the magic of creative editing and like <laughs> the policy of probably making Post Malone win, which is and you know I've never dealt with negotiations from a marketing side of things with major personalities. But I certainly have friends in the industry who have. And 
I'll tell you that it's would not at all surprise me if the agreement for his appearance led to him winning. And <laughs> or they just thought it would be a real feel bad if Jimmy comboed at the table. But the funny well, thing is they vet these decks ahead of time. So they must have known that this was possible. And they could have just adjusted his list so that it wasn't possible. And instead, they had this really awkward thing where, like, for two minutes, like, Jimmy's going through what he's doing. And then they kind of do an awkward cut take. And, he, and they're like, oh, he petered out. I guess we're still alive. When it was right. very obvious to anybody who was paying attention. No, he didn't peter out. You, He just arbitrarily cut off his own combo. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I th- th- this contentious just seems like a an odd word to use here I, i'm not blaming you it's just so weird that people got angry about it like first of all if you're playing with your friends in real life there's reasons to not combo out the table like it's not even weird in that context second of all they make command zone to watch and have fun with not to just crush each other like this is an entertainment product to be viewed that's it's not about mm-hmm the game they're playing if it was about the game they were playing you would watch anyone play edh but you don't you watch one or two games that they spent god what 20 hours editing the video of so like and you know did 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 post malone require that he win or his handlers i maybe it seems kind of weird like he doesn't strike me as a guy type of guy who would care about that um but yeah I don't have any information on it at all. But, but, I, I, I will say this, it's though. Cer- it's, tr- it's true that, like, being upset that Jimmy didn't combo out the table on, like, turn seven is ridiculous. Like, come on. As someone who's been on reality TV more than a few times where it was creatively edited, <laughs> it always has rubbed me the wrong way that that portion of the entertainment industry is so loose with just crafting whatever narrative they feel like if i'm watching what is essentially documentary footage of an event i want to see the actual result even if it's not as pleasing as what could have happened otherwise other people can completely from a valid perspective say no as you just did it's entertainment product and i want to see them have fun at the table i don't want jimmy to come with them out and end the game 10 minutes earlier um but i just think it's like it undermines credibility from for some people to see a game dragged out and then Post Malone wins and everybody goes, oh, Post won, oh no. And it's just like, well, no, Jimmy won 10 minutes ago. But I, wait, so are you saying that they shouldn't have, they should have let Jimmy combo out? I, I'm saying that from a marketing perspective, letting Post win makes sense. But as a viewer who doesn't give two fucks about marketing potential like that's wizard's objective that's the show's objective to make a more enjoyable viewing experience but if i if i was really if i was the director or the producer of that and i was really serious about making sure that was what the that our end goals were achieved i would have manicured the list to get rid of combos well i mean this it's easy to have infinite combos exist that aren't even intentional and sure. sometimes it involves stealing stuff from other players and stuff sure. you have yeah, a yeah, combo yeah, that you weren't. But I mean, I, I just, it's ludicrous to me to, for anyone to say like, ah, I don't like that they, I mean, it, if anything, it feels like they should have been like, oh, Jimmy has an infinite combo, but like, to be like, oh yeah, but I don't want to do it to you guys, right? Like, that's not fun. I'm just going to hold off and we can play the rest of the game out because that's not as interesting. And like, just, ex- just say that. 
right? Like maybe that's what the other alternative is, is just, yes, I have the infinite combo. No, I don't feel like doing it. Let's keep playing. Uh, instead of trying to pretend like it didn't happen or what have you. I, I just um, don't like being condescended to in my entertainment. I, I would much rather just get the straight goods about what happened. They move on to another game or during the, you know, during the filming of they, they put a little bit more effort into making sure that they're going to get the result they want and, and then get a clean game that doesn't feel like it was cleaned up in editing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose also Jimmy, you know, when he realized what he was putting together could have stopped and just not cast the card and they could have just kind of edited past. Oh yeah. If it, if it happens and having the conversation and like, Oh, I shouldn't do this. Right. If it happened, if he just seems to miss it and is a relatively complex combo, I'm much more forgiving about the result. Yeah. Uh, okay. What are we So, so anyway, it moved a bunch of cards. <laughs> His <laughs> the, post Malone's commander moved in foil, uh, a Sun Quan Lord of Wu. I don't know if that's the pronoun probably butchering that Chinese pronunciation uh, from FTV legends. Uh, I think those are foils. I got them yeah, marked as non-foil FT- FTV legends. Is all yeah. Foil, yeah. Uh, moved from like 25 to 75. Cause it did some work horsemanship. Just let somebody swing for a bunch in the game. Uh, so you, you saw these cards do work on camera and they moved some cardboard, but I would imagine they will be relatively short lived. So get out while you can. Power Conduit it features in the Affinity decks in Modern, and the non-foil copies have started to catch up with the foils, uh, with originals going from, I think it's an uncommon, going from $1.50 to $4.50, 200% gains. Um, you don't need a ton of copies for the deck, so I would certainly be leaning in on that while the getting is good. Um, call- this next... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Cauldron Familiar out of Eldraine foils from 2 to six fifty. That's because the food deck tends to run four of them. Similarly, Witch's Oven was the top gainer of the week. Foils going from $1.50 to $10. If you can put together a package, like if you opened some Eldraine collector booster boxes and you've got some stuff sitting around that you thought was bulk, go ahead and pop that box open. Because you're going to pull out a handful of Witch's Oven, Cauldron Familiars, and Feasting Troll Kings. Feasting Troll King went from $1 to $4.50 just in the regular version. You should just put a package of that stuff up on eBay and get a nice chunk of your sealed product covered. Yeah. I mean, realistically, you could put that together and put it on eBay. And if Witch's Oven it was uh, for non-foils was $2, uh, you know, you could then probably put that on eBay with, you know, 12 core cards of the deck and get the charge four dollars per each of them rather than two just because you put it all together as a group and somebody can buy half the deck in one click tribal flames has featured prominently lately in the five color domain decks in modern they're running things like scion of draco where they go fetchland shock uh, or fetchland triome fetchland shock and they've got all five colors on turn two they're running the territorial cavu scion tribal flames is really good in the deck because for two mana, even though it's a sorcery, you're doing five damage uh, as early as turn two. Yeah, I know we know this popped up real early actually, um, and I was I was noticing this and wondering how to make, uh, trying to find copies for cheap because it was there's a good amount of them when we talked about it last week and the foils were still relatively cheap, but missed the boat on that by now. So yeah, invasion copies are quite old, going from uh, twelve to over forty. That's two hundred fifty percent gains if you can get out on them. Ardent Plea has featured prominently in a four-color uh, Rhino list, I think, the other day. 
uh, as yet another way to cascade into your rhinos. And Alara Reborn foils went from 5 to 18 as a result. Boy, those Alara foils took a long time. But it goes to show that no matter how much they overprint something, <laughs> if you have a demand spike and enough time period between when that happened, you're going to be all right. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's it's funny because you say that it, no matter how much it was overprinted, and it definitely was at the time, but Alara is quite old at this point, and those foil packs, you know, same deal. For people that don't know, they did an experiment during a, a Lara block where they released all foil packs. It was booster packs from the set, and everything in it was foil, so there was way too many foils, and that's why it was so mystifying to those of us when they announced a couple years ago that they were going to increase the foil drop rates in regular booster boxes, because we were like, what? Question marks? Didn't we try this and it didn't work? Yeah, people at the very least didn't care for that implementation of it. Uh, and then the last one we haven't talked on, touched on is Dragon's Rage Channeler uh, at a Modern Horizons 2 going from $2 to $10. Uh, we still haven't got to release weekend yet. So this is a card where it was under the radar. It's been doing well in a, in a few different shells in Modern because um, it turns into a, a, a mini little dragon uh, once you get Delirium and starts hitting in the air, which is, is nice. Um, kind of like an upgraded Delver on 2 in some ways yeah but, i saw it more of a delver than anything else but i would suspect that this is one of those cards that ha will come back to earth uh pretty quickly like dread this is a is it a rare i think it's I a rare. It an unco uncommon oh it's an uncommon yeah this has got to come way back down the yeah. the market price on these is going to be pennies real soon here yeah uh, is it hmm is it the foils this should be. This should probably read foils. I think the foils went to thirteen on pre-order. That makes more sense. I would be surprised if the non-foils of this card were ten dollars. Yeah, as an uncommon. But even even the I'm not sure the foils of these can stay here too because you're gonna pull these foils uh, enough out of MH2 product this weekend that they should get pushed down pretty hard. And then you would just want to keep an eye on it and see if it's gonna drain out uh, like one of the other. Uh, uncommon foils that we're going to talk about from a recent set once we get to cards to watch but before we go there let's talk a little bit about the top mtgo movers of the week obviously there's been a flurry of modern action on magic online because you can't play on arena um and people have been streamers a lot of streamers that were pretty dedicated to arena have switched over to magic online because they have no other choice if they want to capture the mh2 hype cycle fastest oracle uh, out of THB, going from 0.51 ticks to 0.91, almost a double up. It shows up in a bunch of different decks, but Ad Nauseam is probably the one that's doing the best lately. Gilded Goose shows up in the food deck, so it went from 0.92 to 1.8, basically a double up. Savai Triome is showing up in those domain decks out of Ikoria, uh, more or less a double up as well, from 0.43 to 0.92 ticks. Glasspool Mimic. Uh, is it showing up in the uh, Bant Ephemerate list, I believe, going from 0.56 to 1.28. And then Shadow Spear is the lone standard winner on the list this week uh, of note. 0.27 to 0.64 ticks, uh, two or three different shells in standard are running this lately in the main and or sideboard. Yeah, Shadow Spear as well is uh, quite popular in EDH, does a lot of work there as well. So um, that might be kind of getting both sides Alrighty, so cards to watch for the week. I'm going to kick this off by stealing one of your picks from October 
2020. You bastard. Uh, you went, you called Seagate Restoration Foil uh, Extended Art. Uh, uh, this is the Flip Mythic Land from ZNR uh, Rising, or Zendikar Rising. Uh, you called it to go 25 to 45. Well, you can currently get copies as low as 18, because along the way, uh, Gaming Company and some other big vendors cracked a whole bunch of ZNR product that was cheaply available from distribution and dumped a whole bunch more copies in the market. So you have things like Omnath, which are definitely going to be you know good long-term gainers that have a couple hundred, if not 250 listings left on TCG Player. But when I was looking over uh, Zendikar Rising during my research this week, uh, I flagged the uh, Seagate Restoration because it has way more less listings left uh, and is near the top of the bestsellers list on TCG for this set. So if we look at something like, for instance, Ancient Green Warden, uh, there are 341 listings uh, left on TCG Player, but the regular versions of Seagate Restoration are closer to 129 listings, so almost three times less. And if we look at the uh, foil extended art version, we're looking at in near mint, talking about somewhere between 16 and 18 dollars. But the ramp is real steep. There's only 24 listings left on TCG Player for the foil extended arts, and they seem destined to hit your target pretty much, uh, you know, within the 12 months or so that you said was your original. We're about almost 60% of the way through that original call. This is your last stop on the train, and Europe's not any cheaper. They're about the same, if not a dollar or two more. So if you want to get a Seagate restoration, now's the time. And it's backed by a very strong EDH rec play pattern. You've got 9,600 decks reported in under a year on EDH rec. That's 9% of all blue decks. Uh, that's the kind of card you want to be going after. So this is your last chance to get on the train. Well, you know, I can't say that I'm wild that uh, it's taken this long to get someplace um, and really that it's I've lost ground on it. But uh I, I do think it's still strong and it sounds like, you know, it's basically moved into a stronger position than it was when I talked about it initially. Um, you know, these continue to show up all over the place in reasonable numbers. So even if it's not moving at quite the rate, I initially expected it's still getting played today and we still have the issue of it probably not coming back anytime in the near future. So uh, just essentially on a slightly longer timeline timeline. Yep. All right. So what's your second pick this week? Um, I, my second pick, my, my 1.5 pick. Um, I, I'm imagining our listeners probably were anticipating hearing a lot of stuff about modern that are modern related picks, but I got to tell you, looking through the, the challenges, um, I was having trouble finding anything that I really wanted to put people on the trail of, especially with last week's list feeling like they looked so different than this week's um, and anything that looked similar was essentially stuff that didn't really use a lot of brand new stuff anyways. So it's not that I'm not paying you know, interested in the modern stuff. I just if I couldn't find anything that I really loved enough to put on your radar. So um, I, was, I was kind of bouncing around some other places for the time being. Um, but the one that, that jumped out at me 
was mm. uh, I was looking through some Double Master stuff again, just kind of landed there, not on purpose. Um, and the first one on the list here that I liked was Sword of Feast and Famine, um, the extended art foil from Double Masters. The low right now on this card is 125 bucks. Um, so you're paying you're paying a price tag to get in here. It's in 18,000 EDH rec decks. It's a very popular sword. I believe it's the most popular sword, but I did not check that. Uh, it is the top, one of the top selling cards from Double Masters on TCG. Uh, in fact, only the ex- extended art uh, or the borderless Stoneforge Mystic is is more popular than the Stoneforge, the Sword of Feast and Famine is. And I think the Stoneforge we talked about last week. Um, it has a little bit lower supply than the other mythics. There's only there's about 30-ish vendors right now that have copies of Sword of Feast and Famine, Extended Art or Borderless Foils, and nobody has really that many. I think like MTG Mint Card has like two or four or something like that, but most people have one, unsurprisingly, because it's a borderless foil mythic. So the price tag is up there, but the invention Sword of Feast and Famine is like $300. Uh, the Judge Foil is just about 200 so getting these borderless foils at 125, I think you're in real good shape to see them at 150, 160 late this year, early next year. And I mean, we might end up on a better timeline where those are even higher than that or sooner than that, um, just because it's such a popular sword. This is the best version of it at the moment, effectively, um, at least certainly the most visually arresting, I think it's fair to say. There's also the masterpiece edition, but I think this is gonna this is gonna be a win for sure. It sees smatterings of uh, modern play, and Stoneforge Mystic is very much back on the menu. So even though you only use, typically run it as a one of in the main or board, you're still gonna have a bunch of different shells that run Mystic, so they're gonna need a copy of this. And people don't have to be worried about buying a, a fancy version, regardless of where you know how their modern deck does because they can always their backup plan of playing it in the EDH deck is always, you know, right there beside them. Do you know what price this was August 2020 as the set uh, was rolling out uh, on I, TCG? I did not look it up, so no. It's about $106. Oh, you know what you I know what like that. you know what price the Pro Traders paid in our group buy at the same time? <laughs> 70. 79.98. Yeah. So they're they've already made fifty bucks on it. Yep. So it's continuously amusing to me that you know there was a lot of of cross chatter about how the VIP the how these VIP cards were overprinted, and yet the good ones are consistent money makers inside a year. Lots of them were making. First of all, there was a wave of making money on them within the first six weeks when a bunch of them got siphoned off to Japan and it spiked the TCG prices on stuff like Stoneforge Mystic and uh, Thoughtseize. And then later, in you know four to six months out, other stuff just started to climb up because it's so popular. The Swords, Mana Crypt, Mox Opal, Kali of the Vast, Avacyn I've made money on, Doubling Season, the Force of Wills, uh, especially the Mythics, because they were significantly harder to pull than the Rares, obviously. Um, so yeah, the, this we're we're late in the game to get in on it, but as with the inventions before, where's the inventory going to come from? There are still some VIP packs lying around, but it's not easy to crack and go find specific stuff. So slow, steady gainer, one twenty-five to two hundred inside a year. Yeah, I buy that. 
Cool. No, no problem. Uh, a point yes. I wanted to make about your earlier, you know, uh, what about modern, you know, considerations for targeting modern specs. We're in a very different world now. Even if you believe that, you know, by the end of summer, COVID will be well on its way to being a resolved issue in North America and a lot of regions and stores will be open and playing. We still know we're not getting any major magic events this year. Nothing that Wizards is involved in. There's too much liability. Mm -hmm. So the complete absence of the SCG tour of Channel Fireball's GP uh, work with Wizards the pro tour being de-emphasized and restructured into something else where they're basically just leaving it as a hanging question mark and they're going to see how things develop. Um, all of this is, isn't just an absence of those things. It is sh fundamentally shifting the culture of magic. And there are other aspects to this. There is, um, you know, by listing just being less a, a part of the fabric of magic trading which was already in heavy decline, being wiped clean, right? Like nobody wants to meet with strangers and and put hands on each other's cards back and forth. Um, and they didn't want to do that before COVID. They certainly don't want to do it now. And so, you know, buy listing is unlikely to recover in terms of the ability for vendors to hoover in large amounts of product in a short period of time via physical interface with players. That's almost entirely off the agenda for at least another six to 12 months. And that pushes a lot of the action into the e-commerce sphere helps to explain why wizards is so heavily focused on Amazon as Amazon moves to overtake Walmart as the biggest retailer in the U S wizards wants to be pushing product through the funnel that can get the job done. And it also speaks to there being a sh cultural shift in terms of how players may approach formats like modern, because you know, people used to plan their F&M deck for the, the coming week based on what happened at big events on the weekend. Now that's not the case anymore. Like, if you watch Twitch on a regular basis, you get a sense of how a particular streamer is doing. You might see how watch one deck does, you know, watch how a single streamer playing a single deck does in the challenge. But you're not getting that comprehensive coverage that gives you the big picture perspective. And... Without that, I think people are going to be much more likely to just play whatever fancies they fancy. I think that you're going to see a less defined metagame. I think you're going to see more varied play because there aren't going to be big information hammers drilling into people that this is the, t the tier one decks. Well, Wizards has got to be ecstatic about the fact that uh, their formats aren't going to get cracked the way they were before because you no longer have those major events putting formats under such scrutiny um, and making it so visible and almost it's almost a blessing in disguise that nobody watches the online championships because you know the pros are still working on cracking decks for those but uh no one really pays attention so it doesn't impact the meta as much well and and they're largely focused on arena where there's no modern so oh yeah as far as modern is concerned yeah you're just they don't exist so the point I'm making is that you, it really makes you, fo behooves you to focus on the specs for modern cards that A, have cross-format play to EDH. So your backup plan is, even if this doesn't make it a modern, it's still a strong EDH card with good numbers on EDH rec. That's a good starting point. 
beyond that, you want to look at stuff that's going to see cross-shell play where it's not reliant on a specific synergy. For instance, if the food deck gets heavily targeted and hated out of the format, you probably don't want to have your chips in on Asmo because that is the only deck that will probably play Asmo. Not for sure. There could be some black-red delirium thing going on too, but I suspect it's not anywhere near tier one. Um, but something like Foil Old Border Prismatic Ending is probably going to do pretty well over a two-year horizon almost no matter what. Because it, it's probably just the best white spell in the format. That is unlikely to change anytime soon. And as a result, you know, almost no matter what is top eighting in a given week, you're still going to see that card get played. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I say it's the best white spell, but certainly like one of the best white spells that's been added. Well, the best, in, in the best the white, white kill spell is what I'm saying. In the format, yep. You've you've jumped you've jumped past Path of Exile pretty fast here, huh? Well, it's just it's in, it's in zero lists <laughs> today. Today, no. I'm keep keep in mind. I'm not just looking at these lists tonight. I've been watching streams all week. Doing tons well, of research on modern. Like, I have it on in the background pretty much the whole time I'm working, unless I'm doing something specifically intense or I'm in a staff meeting. And so I've seen about 30 hours of modern Twitch streaming this week. And uh, Path is really just not present. It seems to I, only I, be in the in the decks of the people that can't rent the cards they need. <laughs> I'm not saying that Path is being played but hiding behind the scenes. I'm saying maybe everyone is trying out yeah. And then in three or four weeks, there will be a, you know, a mild shift back towards a split type of thing. The, the thing in, that, any, the thing in that, any case, it is a new, possibly the best new white spell. Well, the thing is that, you know, to belabor the point, but Path was already in trouble because the format was, the aggro decks were setting a clock that had a mana base where you don't want to give them extra mana. Like the blue red tempo decks were already setting were basically the pacemakers in the format leading into MH2. And it's only and they haven't been dis- displaced and they don't look like that it doesn't look likely that that's going to be the case. So you know, prismatic ending walks into a situation where the format wanted a more flexible answer that whose only downside was sorcery speed. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you want to you want to focus on cards that are going to be played in a bunch of different shells, not things that are specific. Um, and because then if, you know, you're selling into a local market and that local market is a random smattering of tier 1 to tier 4 modern decks that people have pulled together because they don't have nearly as much pro level guidance that is focused and narrow band you know, narrow cast directly into their brains. You want to be holding the cards in inventory that they are likely to be running almost regardless of what they chose. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you're, uh, yes, staples are good and cross format staples are, are even better. Yeah, um, that's, that's the point. <laughs> not, right. not, not too surprising. All right. So my second pick this week uh, is Aether Vile iconic masters version six to 12 months out guess what we haven't got a reprint of this card in a while and it's there's no products on the horizon where it's likely to show up there's no way they're putting this card into standard this fall 
very much don't expect this to show up in the D&D set. So $35 in Europe. They're closing in on 45-ish plus in North America already. A whole bunch of different decks in modern run Aethervile, whether you're running Merfolk or Goblins or Humans or Legends or whatever. If you have a heavy creature strategy, uh, Death and Taxes, Yurion, etc., you're running Aethervile. And if you're running Aethervile, you're running all four. It's the 31, 31st most played card in the format. And there's just no... It's been, it got a, the list reprint but those don't matter yeah so where's this card going to come from in the next six to 12 months nowhere that we've been advised of and in that situation it's probably by it does uh i mean this card got a bunch of reprints in a row um but it's been a while now we haven't seen nearly as much of it and like you said it's been we've got a gap here where it hasn't been hasn't shown up the way that it was and these are starting to look better. Um, Aether Vial feels like it's also seen a touch of a resurgence lately. Uh, it's been a little more popular and modern than it has been in the past, so people are picking up copies. And also with the the delay, um, the the fact that it's you know it's all those several reprints, and then we haven't seen it again in the format. Uh, you probably had a bunch of people new to modern who never ended up buying it. You know, the more enfranchised players might have some, you know, their copies floating around or what have you. But it's been long enough that people could have come and started playing modern who didn't have a copy yet. And now they need copies for because they started playing and they have to go go buy some. So um, more people are interested in it than they they were. Uh, Yeah, I mean, boy, they're 35 bucks for the non-foils, huh? That climbed a lot. I feel like these were. 15 or 20 bucks at one point still good though still good and we know that um who's it seth was just talking the other day about how like the list is essentially irrelevant for reprints like the quantity is just meaningless and it's just a gimmick which was what we've been talking about you know we've been on that story for a while but just have somebody else reiterate it yep that's true Alrighty, so your second selection uh yeah the other card that got i after i started poking around dxm again uh i think that expedition map is pretty tasty looking the borderless foils again um it's in thirty-two thousand eda truck docs very popular card um so very big in that format unsurprisingly because it lets you go search up all your lands uh whether it's your green gaia's cradle or your, your green Urborg or your guy's cradle or whatever else. Um, and as long as they're printing lands, Expedition Map will be useful. Uh, it does show up in Modern a decent bit too. All the amulet decks that we've been seeing around are playing it. They are only playing one right now, so it's not like a full play set, but it does get played there. So um, there is some additional Modern interest as well. But in general, I think the XM is just look, starting to look pretty good. In terms of uh, supply and pricing, I think we're we're at a good price, you know, a, g- a good time to start buying DXM. It might not, like, it's not the inventory isn't super low across the board. It's not like we're talking about like you know eight copies at a vendor type of thing, but it's you know probably historical lows or cl- very close to it for a lot of these cards. So these foil borderless expedition maps are eighteen right now, and I think you can be hopping on those and uh, looking to out. I would guess at forty. Probably 35 to 40, maybe even more, depending on how long you wait. And unlike the Mythic Sword we were talking about earlier, these haven't already gone through a big 
gain. In fact, they were about the same price last October, September, uh, and dipped a little as the hype moved on to Zendikar Rising and then Commander Legends, and you could probably get copies $13, $14 at some point. Maybe there was even $10 to $12 copies on sale somewhere. And now it's kind of regained its position eight months later, nine months later. And it's time to start looking pretty hard at it. I agree because, as you said, very broad play pattern and playable in EDH, playable in Modern. The decks that play aren't going anywhere. Although there isn't a lot of Tron in those top eights. But uh, th that doesn't mean well, Expedition Map is done in the format. The Valakit lists are playing it. Yeah, you see it in the like, primetime list. Yeah, and like I said, it's only the one. It's not a major component, but you still have a bunch. You know, anyone who's playing that deck is thinking about buying copies, so um, a copy or two. So there's some demand, some additional demand for it, even if it's not extensive. And more to the point, that there's now, whereas there was hundreds of listings last fall, at least 200, 150 to 200 plus, now you're down to 32 listings near mint foil for the borderless. And the art's handsome. It's a good looking card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thinking is like the price might not have budged much from a while ago, but the inventory sure has. So we're getting to the point where there's not going to be that many more opportunities for you to get this inexpensively before it really starts to take off. I've got a nice treasure trove of borderless foils that are patiently waiting for their moment mm -hmm. and maturity is coming closer and closer. I All right. It. So I agree with that one too. Very nice selections. Uh, I think my last one for this week is going to be Inquisition of Kozilek, Mystical Archive Japanese foils. Currently available, whether you're looking at Europe or the US, you're still looking at about $17. I'm going to call these to double, 17 to 35 in say 6 to 12 months. It's the 11th most played card in modern. This is stunning, distinctive art. It's just not not just good art. It's fantastic art. And the su supply flow is very low. I don't mean that the supply is very low, although it's not very high. Um, I mean that nobody's cracking Mystical Archives uh, right now. Everybody's focused on MH2, and then we're going to have D&D, &D, and then the double Innistrad set. The, even though the Strixhaven stuff's going to be in the market for a while... These Inquisition of Kozilek are going to start to dry up, and you're going to blink one morning and they're going to be gone. There's 64 listings currently on TCG Player, and nobody's got really deep inventory of these. Mostly onesies, some twosies, and three threesies. There's no the gaming company wall with 600 copies. This is these are going to dry up, and if you're looking at versions of Inquisition of Kozilek to own you're going to have trouble doing better than these. Now, I will say, the global art ones are also quite handsome. It it shows a really cool picture of uh, Kozilek standing in front of a humanoid figure that's kind of floating in space. And I own foils of those, and they look great. So those ones have 118 listings, and they're about 9 bucks. So if you're buying... You want nice copies for your deck, you could easily just go for these uh, at half the price. And these will take a little longer to get there, but both versions are gonna will get there over time. Within two years, these will both be $25 plus for sure. The the art on both of them is cool, I, and I, but I do agree that the Japanese one is better. And also the, the formatting on the Japanese one, it, the Japanese missile archives in general are better. Um, 
it's very stylized and you know, we, we've talked about it before. I like it quite a bit. So, uh, you know, whatever price these are at, you know, it's, it's not a question of, for me, it was never a question of like, is this going to be a good pick? It's just going to be like, okay, well, when we find the bottom, that's when I want to be a part of this. Um, and it sounds like we're, we're probably getting pretty close to that just because people are just about to start turning away from Strixhaven and look at Modern Horizons entirely. And then, you know, it'll be D and D right after that. So the supply, you know, the, like you said, the, in the, the supply chain is going to dry up. So, you know, whatever's out there will mostly be what out, what's out there. All right, we've got our Pro Trader selection of the week. This is a card several Pro Traders have talked about, but I'll give the credit to Jay Temkin since he came at me with it today. Solve the Equation Foils. This is the instant for three from Strixhaven that searches up a uh, another instant, I believe, and puts it into your hand. It says, search your library for an instant or sorcery card. Reveal it and put it into your hand. Mystical Tutor only gets instants? Uh, yes. Is that true? I think, yeah, instant or sorcerers. Sorry, I was thinking of um, a different one, but yes, it is all instant or sorcery. Yeah, so this is a more expensive. Uh, sorry, it's not instant speed either. It's a more expensive and slower mystical tutor. Mystical tutor is one blue, <laughs> at, at, but it puts it on uh, on top of your library. Solve the equation is sorcery speed and costs two more, but puts it into your hand. Uh, nevertheless, it is by far one of the most popular cards at a Strixhaven on EDH rec and is already showing up in 4,500 decks in less than two months. 16% of all blue decks report using it. You can currently get foils in the EU around $2. In the US, you're already looking at closer to $350 to $4. So half price in the EU, you can get a nice thick brick of them, 8, 12, 20, 30 copies, depending on you know how many vendors you work with. you got to factor some shipping and, and time to market into that as well. But Jay uh, says probably $10 within the year, and I think that's entirely accurate. I mean, if this is that popular, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble getting some good price movement. The question only becomes, you know, what the time frame is. Can you get a uncommon to move that much uh, that quickly? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, um, but I know that it's not, I think that if it's not exactly a year that it's still going to do well, as long as there's no extra reprint reprints. Consider how, how many uh, boxes of CBs were opened and how easy these should be to find in there, you would expect to see a lot more than 75 listings sitting on TCG for the English foils. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that not all of them are printed or listed. You know, like people just don't bother to put them up because the price is too low. But I I, I like the card. I'm not debating that the card's not useful. Um, in popular, I think it's very well positioned. The only thing that I would be wondering about is, is maybe the time frame. But that's all. I think it's overall a good a good choice. There's also no buy list support for it yet. Like CK wants the non foil copies, but they don't want the foils yet. Yeah. So I would imagine this could easily end up being a twelve to eighteen month play, but I won't be at all surprised when it gets there. At, at minimum, as a buy list double up. If you told me in a year CK would be offering five twenty five or something on the foils, or four fifty, I would totally believe you, and that would be enough to justify adding 
a double handful of them to some other order you're placing in Europe. Yep. Yep, yep. All right, so that's that. Uh, topic of the week, we're going to, with everything that's been going on with Modern Horizons 2, I think we can all agree that this is one of the most complex, if not the most complex product formulations that Wizards has ever tabled. Not only were was the CBs the largest mainstream or most expensive mainstream product that Wizards has ever put on offer with I think Amazon pricing on the CBs being about 350 our group buy pricing being somewhere between 300 and 325 for the most part other retailers have them at 399 or higher um you know they they do come with something like four fetch lands per collector booster box for mh2 like you get two non-foils of some variety and two foils either foil etched or old border foil uh, or uh, extended art foil so there's a but they've baked that extra value into the price point too right you know you're paying an extra hundred dollars or 150 dollars or in some cases 200 dollars double price for these cbs is buying the fetch lands for $200 and then getting a collector booster box separate from that for the usual $200. So very complex product, very expensive product, and also tons of interesting and seemingly good cards for both EDH Modern and Legacy, Cube, Popper, etc. all in this one set. Uh, 20 Mythics, I believe, so higher than the usual 15. So less of any given mythic uh, versus some other magic formulations in the past. And you've got the sketch cards, you've got the old border foils, you've got the extended arts, but the extended arts are only on some cards. You don't get any mythics in extended arts. Instead, you get borderless for those. And the borderless are basically showcased. So they're in both set booster boxes and collector booster boxes, but at a much lower drop rate in the set booster boxes. And Wizards is pushing the set booster boxes really hard. So they'll probably be in play for most of the year. But the draft booster boxes are much less so because Wizards doesn't really want to sell you those anymore. So you got all of that noise in the background. And then you're trying to plan out your specs. Now, whether we're talking about that from the perspective of a collector slash player who's just trying to get the cards they want at the cheapest possible price, or you're talking about a armchair vendor or an actual vendor who you know might acquire inventory outside of cracking boxes you've gotten from wholesale. It's good to have a game plan. Now more than ever, you need to be able to compartmentalize and categorize the options that are in front of you. A lot of the cross-chatter in the ProTrader Discord over the last week has been, what do you think about this version of this card at this price? (laughs) So something like, uh, I want to get the Merfolk God, Old Border Foil. It's currently at $112. Somebody offered me one on Facebook at 85. That seems like a bargain, no? Question mark. And I think it's probably a good time for us to go through some case studies on some of the cards in Modern Horizons 2 and try to put them in little compartments, some categories that will help people provide a framework for evaluating the hype around new sets especially in the time preceding the actual release because we're when we're recording this is tuesday june 15th the pre-release was last weekend the release is this weekend on tcg player the most important marketplace in the u.s currently 
most people are not allowed to be selling uh, on TCG. So the, the inventory that's about to face the market has not yet landed. The race to the bottom has not fully started. Um, and the Modern Horizons 2 pre-order prices were th- like stratospheric. I think at one point the EV for collector booster boxes was over $1,000. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing Seth uh, Saffron Olive posted a thing about like the current EV of the boxes, and it was like nine hundred and some odd dollars. And it was like this is a little misleading because this prices are predicated like that EV is predicated on some absolute ludicrous prices that are clearly not going to be real. Yeah, and so if you're if you're talking about should I buy a CB? Oh yeah, you should. It's a thousand EV. All the comments from you know established vendors saying don't ignore those ignore that advice because that's nonsense. That's true. Like EV has to crash. And when we were working out our singles buys for the pro traders this week, we ignored the TCG pricing almost entirely, except as a benchmark for here's a ceiling. How much could this fall? And generally, when we're looking at ridiculous prices like that, we're expecting that they're going to fall fifty to seventy percent depending on the card. Um, the higher, the closer to S tier the card is, the more resistant it might be to that. So if something like a Ragavan proves itself in multiple formats and everybody suddenly needs four of them, like they did with things like Tarmogoy for Ren and Six in their day, um, then while they might get low-ish, you know, you might see Ragavan drop to, you know, 30s or 40s or whatever, it could be the future $100 Mythic of the set. And so let's call that the first category, S-tier staples, right? And with something like Ragavan, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, where is it being played? How likely is it to to stay in play? How synergy-driven are the decks that are running it versus it being a card that's just uniquely powerful and can be fit can fit into a bunch of shells, and therefore will probably stay as a top tier staple in the format rolling forward, kind of regardless of which shell is doing the best with it. And so that's what I've been looking at for that card in particular, because at first it seemed like things like grief and solitude, the black and white evoke creatures that either unmask or swords to plowshares people would be the might have a chance of being the mythics that made the biggest splash. But as testing went on, it became apparent that because they are inherently you're you're two for oneing yourself. And often if that was happening in control shells like say Esper control, where you might also be running force of negation, you might end up burning four cards for two interactions. And you better hope that <laughs> that those interactions were extremely meaningful because you're putting yourself behind significantly on card count. And so though I have seen uh, Evoke creatures tested a lot, I haven't been super impressed with any of them. Like I think Solitude does its job the best. Subtlety was everywhere in initial testing, but seemed to peter out pretty quickly as people realized that a lot of the time, it just didn't do what you needed it to do when you needed it to do it. And again, it had that same problem as being of being run alongside Force Negation, where they're doing something, and you could either evoke subtlety or you could 
uh, force, but you can't do both because you need one or the other card to do it if you're tapped out. Mm -hmm. And so th those, those mythics seem like they're going to see some play, but probably not the $100 mythic of the set. Well, evaluating stuff like that is very challenging. Um, you know, you almost have to look at it as... Uh, it, first of all, I always want to be conservative when I'm trying to evaluate this type of stuff. I'd rather be low on the card and have it do better than I expect and maybe miss an opportunity than think a card is absolutely busto and spend, you know, hundreds of dollars pre-ordering and find out that it crap the bucket um you know that's a that's a that's a key component here is is i think is also just trying to be conservative when you're evaluating stuff like that and you know if you were talking about the incarnations and like how you know you saw grief and people were like grief and ephemera it seems silly and it's like yeah um but let's take a look at this like that sure does seem like it could be very powerful and i'm not saying it's not but i do notice that you kind of have to have grief and ephemera in your hand together for it to be that wild. What happens if you don't have ephemera? Like, is it still quite that good? Cause now you are two for one in yourself. And also like exactly what deck do we want to put this in with the Ragavan? You can look at this and you can go, Oh, maybe like John just starts playing this or maybe the prowess decks one, right? They just put Ragavan in the deck. Whereas with grief, it's like, okay, but now I have grief and ephemera. Well, ephemera not seeing that much play anyways at the moment. Um, and even in the decks that it is in, they're not black. So, like, we kind of have to build a whole new deck almost to play Grief or at least really twist something around. So there's going to be some more work to get this off the, the ground. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be bad, uh, but it means we're not going to have an answer right away. Um, so there's probably more room for that price to drop than if we jumped, than, than you know, for something like Ragavan, which will be easier, more obvious, quicker, essentially. And the multi-format play, I think, is the key for what you're looking at to cement your commitment to a specific S-tier mythic. So with Ragavan, it's produced a top eight result in Legacy already. It's done it in Modern. It uh, is the most played mythic on EDH Rec so far. 654 decks, 19% of all red decks. Um, and the only other mythic that's even close is Solitude. Uh, Solitude is at... 139 decks, 4% of all white decks. So 19% inclusion versus 4% inclusion. Part of that can be hype, but it still is head and shoulders out ahead. It's also got monkey meme value, right? Like it's got intangibles. People just want um, a cute, <laughs> a cute, stupid <laughs> monkey card to be awesome. It, Yeah, like I have trouble... I have trouble like quantifying that, like how much that's worth, but it's, it's better than if it was just a beast. People who were on the fence might be mildly more interested in trying it out or like streamers might be a little more inclined to try it. Cause it's funny than not, you know, it's a monkey. So the way I would approach, let's, let's just say for, for argument's sake that Ragavan is the Renin six of this set. It's the, let's say it's the top mythic. So what do we do about that? Well, we want to re review what our options are. You've basically got the pre-release version, which will be a, a stamped foil. Card Kingdom will probably offer extra on it down the road because people still didn't get to pre-release that much with this set. 
but otherwise you don't really need to to focus on on the pack foils per se with modern horizons 2 there's all these different variants but a lot of the cards didn't get that many that many options like we talked about last week the esper sentinel just basically has esper sentinel and the sketch version so there's no extended art there's no border list there's no old border foil of that one it's going to be ripe to get a premium card down the road ragavan gets the regular version and a borderless version the borderless version uh can appear in set booster boxes and draft booster boxes but the foils of it, of those are going to appear at a much lower rate in those boxes than they will in the collector booster boxes. Collector booster boxes tend to dominate the cracking uh, in the opening weekends for a set like this because the EV is so much higher. Like every vendor I've talked to as we're negotiating potential singles deals or seal deals is saying like, well, yeah, I could, set, I could sell you some more of those CBs, but I can still crack these and go up 45% above what I would get out of that deal. Or, uh, you know, singles EV has fallen from 1,000 to 620, but my wholesale on these was still, you know, 270 or something. So the vendors are heavily motivated to prioritize cracking the collector booster boxes over draft and set booster boxes, which is not surprising. And as a result, you, you should see a flood of the borderless and borderless foil ragavons show up on TCG Player this weekend and provide some pretty solid entry points. Now, is that entry point going to be better than the entry point? Say we're talking about the foil borderless, arguably the best version. Is this weekend the day, like this Saturday or Friday afternoon, is that the time period you want to be targeting the foil borderless? No one can tell you for sure, but I have seen a variety of vendors suggesting that that may well be the case with the with the really key premium cards. Like I think Ed was on Twitter last week or the week before uh, having this discussion where he was talking about don't just assume that it's like the old days where you can wait 12 weeks until quote unquote peak supply and go after this stuff because the real race to the bottom is right up front. And then the cracking peters off very quickly, especially if the EV, EV collapses. If the EV of the CBs stays really high and the vendors can get more CBs from distribution, that will lead to good prices in 12 weeks. But I'm not hearing that there's a bunch of spare products sitting around for Modern Horizons 2 CBs. People have, as per usual, been harping on the, it's printed demand, but it's not. The set booster boxes will be printed demand, but even those will be available on a on a declining scale of epic proportion, where sixty or seventy five percent of the all Modern Horizons two product has already been sold by this point. And Wizards will make set booster boxes available in multiple waves throughout the year, just like they did with Modern Horizons one. But the the vendors will get smaller and smaller portions of that as time goes on. And there might be some, like, one last wave next April or something, and then that'll be the last time it'll be available through distribution. And what that all adds up to is that, you know, right now, Ragavan Foil Borderless, lowest price currently posted on TCG is $128. 
<laughs> or just the normal pack copy? No, this is foil borderless. Oh, foil, oh, for, foil borderless. Sorry, okay, I missed that. Which is essentially showcase because it's not exclusive to the collector booster boxes. It's just at a much lower drop rate in the in the set and draft boxes. Um, so what is that likely to come down to this weekend? Under a hundred, for sure. Probably under eighty. But if I see these get down to. If I see them under 70, I'm going to start getting an itchy trigger finger. And if I see them under 60, I'm going to probably start buying. Because if Ragavan is real in Modern Legacy, at least two of the three of Modern Legacy and EDH, then... Well, he's not EDH, right? Like, we can agree on that. But he, he, but he is. I just told you. He's, 19, he's the highest reported mythic in 19% of all red decks. 654 hey. reported so far. Yeah, I mean, I that might be true. I don't, I don't care. Like he's not an EDH card, and he's not going to be a relevant EDH card three months from now. I, I think you got to. You're if 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 you haven't played with Ragavan, you're probably underestimating what he does. He, he he, but he doesn't do anything that matters in EDH in but like he, a capacity. But he that do, it matters. But he does because you can dash him to attack somebody who's who left their themselves open. And you that flip. Doesn't happen. It, it does all the time. I I attack people. I attack people. Attacks of opportunity in EDH games constantly. I I am rarely as as confident about things on this cast as I am in saying that Ragavan is not a good EDH card and will not be meaningful in that format six months from now. Okay. Well, we we can revisit that. But even if it was only modern and legacy, true. Fair. Ragavan right. would still right. be very well positioned. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And other cards will hit EDH. I was just chiming in on that particular example. And and keep in mind that the thing about Ragavan is everyone thinks it's the best mythic right now. So that's going to that's going to prevent this from getting to $20 for a foil borderless. Like there there is going to be resistance. There people like me are going to be looking are going to set their entry points. And if they see it, it's going to trigger some buying. Now, I'm not going to buy 600 copies, but I might buy a playset, two playsets, three playsets. I might buy one playset and then watch to see what the market does 36 hours later. If it's trending further down, I'll kick back and wait for it to bottom out. If it stops showing up in top eight lists, you know, I, I might look for my exit early. Because one of the things that can happen here, like if you think about what happened with Phyrexian Vorinclex in Kaltheim, spiked up into like the $400 range and then fell back all the way to 200. Now 200 is still a very respectable price versus the uh you know 90 to 120 prices people were paying on opening weekend. So, you know, whether you got 200 for them or 300 for them or 350, one of the things you think about with an S tier staple is to look for that uh what I'm going to call an immediate pump exit where Ragavan gets down to some number, call it 75, vendors go ape shit on it and drive it up to 200. I don't see much reason not to just get off the train at that point. Could that be a future $250 or $300 card? Sure, but it's just as likely that inventory will continue to flow into the market and can push it back the other direction. So if you've got like in under a week, you can get up 50 bucks on a foil borderless Ragavan, you take that and roll. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty easy. Now... There's other categories of cards that should be considered. You've got stuff like the underrated card, 
Like you think you've spotted a card that other people aren't respecting enough and you think it's going to be a big deal and maybe other people don't agree with you. Uh, with Modern Horizons 1, I think I was in on Ice Fang Quaddle ahead of some other people and managed to buy list them very attractively. The I think with Modern Horizons 2, I would put... I'm not, I'm not sure where the general sentiment really lands on this, but I think I like Esper Sentinel a lot more than other people. I think a lot yeah. of people are kind of medium on the card, and I'm pretty high on it. Um, you... You, yeah, that has been my impression, and I, I don't, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I just, um, I, I've heard you a little hotter on it than I've heard anyone else talk about it. So far, EDH rec backs my play. It's in a thousand decks so far, thirty-one percent of white decks, um, and that is the highest number of any card in the set, including Urza Saga. Urza Saga is only at twelve percent of all decks, eight hundred and twenty-nine total. 829 and how much was it for us for 1004 31% of white text and part of I think supporting that is the command zone episode with Post Malone starts off with one of the players casting an Esper Sentinel on turn one I think it was Josh and proceeds to draw just a fucking ridiculous amount of cards because nobody killed it so over and over and over again to the point of annoyance because and it was extra annoying because Post Malone a turn later, casts Ristic Study. So then it was, uh, will you pay? Will you pay? Will you pay? Will you pay? For both the cards all the way around the table constantly. And that's the thing about them printing too many of these, is that you're going to get five or six of these prominent, like, will you pay cards in the format, and it's just going to be so obnoxious. <laughs> you're going to have groups ban them just because it's... No one wants to have the conversation dynamic and play anymore. Um, so let's just say that Esper Sentinel is underrated. I went pretty ham on it in Japan, getting Japanese etched copies at 10 bucks and as, I think as low as 8 bucks on the weekend. Now, what if I'm wrong? This card could head... What is it? Currently on TCG Player, it is only a rare. And it only has the two versions. I'm not sure Etch Sentinel is really a fair choice for underrated, but let's just say that this was underrated. Uh, sorry, Esper Sentinel. I keep saying etched. You get the etched foil Esper Sentinel. Nope, doesn't come in etched foil. There is a say, but it probably doesn't come in only comes foil, in foil, right? It only comes in uh, sketch. You get the sketched foil. Yep, you can get a sketched foil <laughs> of the etched Sentinel. Uh, so yeah. Esper Sentinel is currently is is not a good example of underrated because currently on TCG they're sitting at twenty dollars. So that's not an underrated rare, um, but let's say that it was an underrated rare, and you could currently get it on TCG Player at two dollars. So what's the strategy? You're, you're looking for a card, for it to be underrated, you are going out on a limb and saying you understand the card better than everybody else in the market. And this is one of those situations where you should give yourself pause and spend some time arguing the other side of the equation. One of the things worth looking at is look go back to Modern Horizons 1 and check how many rares are worth more than $5. 
Now, it is a little different Modern Horizons 2 because the product, uh, even in set booster boxes, like regular stuff that comes out of the boxes, it had a higher cost at distribution level and higher cost in the market. So, you know, you can add 20% to your price targets kind of across the board on regular rares and be in, you know, I think be within the realm of possibility. I think if you're really trying to do your homework here, the, the you know, it, it, at least to establish some framework is to go back and look at Modern Horizons 1 and look at the prices um, a week or so out, you know, or the, the, the weekend of pre- of, release what have you and then check them for percentage changes uh you know one two three weeks a month later and see how it adjusts and you know the absolute values are slightly less important than just seeing like okay well what ended up being the underrated card from modern horizons you know it was hogak well how much did hogak move and uh you know how underrated was it in hogak's case it was extremely underrated i mean it definitely was from a people talking about a perspective i would have i don't have the, the the price data in front of me so i don't know exactly how much it increased but that would give you like your best case scenario and then you could see some other stuff that you you know maybe you saw this other card from modern horizons that you thought was decent um but it didn't do quite as well and it ended up losing 20 percent and overall you know the so that kind of gives you an idea of how else it could go um but you, you, looking back at a set that was similar gives you a way to evaluate what success and failure cases might look like. It's also worth checking if you if you think something's underrated, you want to check its price against other cards that seem to be that might be where you agree with the evaluation. So you could take something like an Esper uh, Sentinel and a Dothy Voidwalker, the Black Shadow card that's seen both modern play and is an early front runner for being one of the top three rares in the set for EDH play. And you can take a look at what's the deal with that card. So the Asper Sentinel is about $20 in TCG right now. I would imagine it's going to get pressured down into the low teens this weekend. The Dothy Voidwalker is at 17 or so, and it's probably going to be in much the same boat. But it has three versions. It has an old barter version and an extended art version. Um, and neither of them are sketched. So it has more desirable versions, but more of them overall. Um, and that's certainly worth considering. But if I was, if I thought Voidwalker and Esper Sentinel were going to see about the same amount of EDH play, but the Sentinels were four dollars and the Voidwalkers were sixteen, that would be the kind of signal that would lead me to getting in on the Sentinel earlier as an underrated card. Mm-hmm. You know, the the pricing is too low versus another card that seems to be at about the same level of play. Seems reasonable. Uh, something else to consider might be something like a, an activated card. So a card that's not in the set at all, but has suddenly been turned on or, uh, elevated into the format by the presence of other things. So for instance, Witch's Oven and Cauldron Familiar were major hassles for standard players since Eldraine came out because there was... Uh, there were sacrifice decks with Corvold in the format that were doing a ton of work with those two cards. But they weren't really a big deal in Modern until all of a sudden you've got the Asmo and the Cookbook. And then that turns on the ability to get a bunch of food tokens and get the, the Feasting Troll King in play, which had never seen any Modern play before that at all, wasn't even remotely on anybody's radar. And these become activated cards. And so 
the way you pick up on activated cards is by doing your research. You got to be watching what the streamers are doing and then running it through the filter of not what is the streamer running today, but what was their result? Because we see a lot of this in the Discord where people will just throw up a list. Like, here's a thing, a new interesting list that somebody is running today on Twitch. But that's a big. there's a big difference between that versus Jeskai Monkey Blade won the challenge this weekend. They ran the gauntlet of a bunch of other great players trying out their decks. Blue-red prowess players trying to ruin their day. Tron players trying to ruin their day. Primetime players trying to ruin their day. And they ran the whole gauntlet came out victorious and now they have a functional shell that can they that at least has a single trophy to back its situation that's super different than you know day three or something of modern testing i saw lots of people testing merfolk and being like yeah merfolk was definitely way better than it used to be okay but but how many trophies did it take home how many top eights that week so you got to be watching the magic online list looking at the challenges as they unfold checking the the daily foro lists and the leagues and trying to get a sense of what's a meme and what is shaping up to be a very solid archetype. And sometimes in the case of a, de- a card like Ragavan, it's not that it's specific to one ar- archetype, it's that it's all over the place and people are finding justification to put it into decks without there being any particular synergy where they just go, you know, this is just such a great card on rate that I'm going to find a home for it. Yeah, the um, going after the the cards get turned on by other cards is, you know, kind of level two or lo- you know, t- level one to the level zero of, of the obvious stuff, uh, which is always a great place to be. Um, if you can spot it, that requires a little more talent. Uh, talent's the wrong word. Um, it's just, it's much harder to do and be successful because you kind of have to have a feel for what's going to work and what isn't going to work, uh, which everyone likes to think they do, but you're frequently wrong because there can be other forces in the meta that you can't account for that end up mattering and, you know, making your idea not worth it type of thing. Uh, and it's, you know, the, the, what are the activated cards are always something that I have my eye on, but I, I rarely buy based on that. You know, when grief was printed, I went, Ooh, I should go check out ephemerate. You know, that's the activated card. Well, it wasn't actually a really good target for ephemerate, um, which happens regularly as well. Or, you know, if you're not at this point in time, if you're not watching the spoiler and reacting immediately, almost uh you might be too late anyways just another thing to keep in mind sometimes you're just gonna be too late to the party because uh this moves real quick well i'll skip ahead one one level to trap cards then i mean we talked earlier about how as foretold fell out of the market so the suspend cards start getting released people start specking on as foretold foils start flying off my shelf um there's a tendency in those situations to get greedy to think like okay well i got 30 yesterday and 35 today so i may as well post these at 80 and hold but the thing is until you know for sure that the thing is a pivotal part of a deck you you don't want to get that kind of greedy like you want to just sell the ramp and so i made sure that i got out of about 80 percent of my as foretolds 
only pricing particularly aggressively when I got to pretty close to the end of my inventory. And that's a, a pattern that I tend to enact as much as I possibly can, especially where things feel time sensitive. So I'm less concerned about it when I'm dealing with like a long-term EDH staple, like say a foil smothering tithe or something like that. But with like, I have a, I had a pile of Japanese anointed processions that, you know, obviously it's a key EDH staple, not really a constructed card uh, for modern, you know, modern legacy, but I got them at $2 and 25 cents or something. And I sell them for just under 30. And if somebody sends me an offer for 26, sure, take it. If they send me an offer for a dollar off, sure, take it. Other people will just buy it straight up because it's cheaper than the English copies. All good in the hood. Could I post those at like $6 above the English? Yeah, but I'm already 10 times in here. So we don't really need to worry about trying to get a premium on it. But once I got down to only having two or three copies left, I started to shift the price up. Now, if I'm dealing with something like that, something for the food deck, like say a witch's, uh, like a cauldron familiar or um, the is witch's cauldron. Which is familiar and something cauldron. No, it's cauldron familiar and which is oven. Which is oven. Uh, I think you go ahead and sell those because the food deck looks solid, but those cards are very, very specific to the food deck. And their their lifetime and standard is basically over. So if I can get out on a witch's oven foil at eight bucks right now, for sure. Any day of the week. So putting together that package of food deck components and throwing it up on eBay, very, very smart idea. Don't get stuck in the trap. Like, don't get greedy on trap cards. Just get out as you can. And that has overlap with the, like, premium pump concept, right? Like, if Old Border, probably the most important card in the set would be the Old Border Foil, CB Exclusive, Force of Negation, and Urza. And put Force of Negation just at the top of that heap. You can only get them, because it's a Modern Horizon 1 reprint, in the CBs. And they're pretty hard to pull. And it's the best version of the card. It's Old Border Foil Force of Negation. Now, I have Original Pack Foil Russian, so you can make arguments about which of those two is better. But those are very, very rare. So that's a big deal. That's the kind of card where if it gets low enough on the weekend, people might try to move in on it on the premise that they're going to get six, eight, uh, 600, 800, 1,000 on it later. they You know, it's that hard to find. Scalding Tarn, Old Border Foil is going to be the same kind of thing. You know, could get pushed up or could just languish. And you just got to keep your eye on it. By the way, uh, you recall our conversation about that card's price point uh, from a several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But you can currently buy the old border foil scalding tarns for 150. Yep. And so and there was if uh, people were saying, d- calling me crazy on on Twitter because I suggested that we needed more information before we knew what whether these could hold multiple hundreds of dollars or not. I I still maintain. That given what we know about the formulation now, you're likely to get opportunities on these this weekend close to $100. But on that basis, their future target price is probably something like $300. Like they could be a triple up. 
Uh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that's possible. I but I I remember that you were. Uh, pretty hot on them so if you're a true believer oh i'm a true believer. I, I i picked up japanese foils at 200 this weekend confidently like i never said they this is a 700 color card mark my words i said we don't we don't know what the formulation is yet because we hadn't run the math at the time once we had run the math we had a pretty good idea that a, a good discussion going in the discord about what the likely price ranges on these were and we're pretty much where we expected to be like 150 dollars heading into the weekend they're probably going to get down to 100 to 120 and i guarantee you that that 100 like if it gets below 100 that is going to snap trigger some people to pick up play sets like people aren't going to probably. grab that card one at a time like if you're buying an old border foil scalding turn you're buying the full set so that you have yeah. you have them forever right uh I-, I haven't gone back to listen to the cast uh but i'm relatively confident that if you check the tape i you asked me what i thought the price on these was going to be and i have i i thought they were going to be like 100 ish one one to 200 maybe and you were like no these are like 600 cards yeah but you were very high on them on the cast no yeah let's let's roll the tape back for next week and we'll actually insert the <laughs> snippet of conversation because <laughs> i guarantee you that i said it was conditional on understanding the the formulation and it also depends on are you saying that our debate was this weekend's price or their eventual price you so if memory serves and i i am a, I'm notorious for having a bad memory so you know, I, I admit that, but I believe you asked me what I thought the price on these was going to be like, I don't remember what the time period you asked me was. It might've been a month, one month or six months probably after release. And I think, I think I said like somewhere between 150 and 250. I think I'm not sure. And you, you were like, no way. These are like four or $500 cards. Like you, you were at like double or triple my estimation and then we spent a while talking about it because you you we were discussing product formulation which we didn't have all the information on but uh, we had some insight into these being particularly rare let, let me put it to you this way my commentary was always about the desirability of these cards in comparison to their availability through formulation and i never put my foot my stake in the ground and said this is what this card will be on any given day no no and i'm not i'm not saying that you were that you were like i i am dying on this hill that these will be six hundred dollars that's i i'm not saying that's what you said uh but we were very far apart on what we anticipated. okay so what do you think they're going to get to this weekend this weekend if they're 150 now i mean i could see these under 100 i think um I don't remember the exact breakdown of the product formulation at this point. At, at what at what what price does a f- old border foil scalding tar need to get to you to trigger you spending two grand on it? Mm, well, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of other factors in there, but like, if they're one fifty now, like one hundred is definitely tempting if I want to place that for myself, um, and I'm thinking I'm buying close to the floor, like. The thing is, if they hit like $70, for instance, 
No, no, no. no. The, if they hit $70, now I'm thinking there's a problem. Now I'm thinking like, oh, maybe but, we got this wrong. Yeah, but people... Like maybe they're way more common than they th- but, I thought they were because how could they be uh, this cheap? But people... This is the point I've been trying to drive home with the pro traders. They have to understand that the dynamics of magic cards have shifted. It used to be that opening weekend was not when the most of the product got opened. It was still the biggest period, but it wasn't to the extent that it is now, especially for the premium cards. The problem is people get hung up on this concept that it's in print all year, when in fact the collector booster boxes are a single print run. (laughs) They have always been a single print run. They are still a single print run. And that print run gets... preferential treatment by the vendors for cracking because the evs are so high tons of market product will seem to flood the market you're going to see currently we're at 29 listings you might be at 150 to 200 by the end of the week on these and they're going to feel like oh i can get these later it's no problem and if i see these down at 82 dollars, boy i am buying 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 i will spend three or four thousand dollars in a heartbeat on scalding tarn old border foils at that price because i guarantee you that if the, the borderless uh, Sword of Peace and Famine can be up from 80 to pushing 200 in a year, old border foil scalding tarns, keep in mind, these are not pack foils. It's not like these are a showcase treatment. Old border foils are not easy to find in the set booster boxes. You're, uh, you'll be lucky if you pull one, and, and, and you, are, you will need to be lucky. You could easily hit an etched in the CBs, but not hit an old border foil. So give this any give this any that. amount of time. It's the best blue red land ever. I, I I understand. So I understand the point you're making. The points, uh, and I'm not debating the card being good. Nor am I debating that it's a buy at eighty. I guess my point was that if they're sitting at one fifty now, and then I check on Saturday evening or Sunday afternoon, and they're Seventy dollars, eighty dollars. That makes sense. I, now I'm thinking, like, wait, what'd you say? But that makes sense. That's what should happen. The, because it, everybody is trying to get. See, the here's the problem. the 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 wholesale price of those collector booster boxes is so high, like two seventy or something. That say a vendor bought thirty thousand dollars worth of this product, and then they just went on vacation and forgot to sell it. The EV could be cut in half, or or could be cut by seventy percent. They could lose so much money by not selling early in the cycle that they the race to the bottom is intensified because everybody wants to get in, get out, and lock and load for the D&D set in three weeks because mm-hmm. they got to pay for their next round of CBs when, when the D&D hype starts up. So they are going to undercut each other all weekend. And people that feel like they did, like, you know, there's lots of Magic players, like, smaller vendors on tcg that if they crack a couple of cbs and they pull something like that they feel obligated to sell it to try to get their money back so they throw up their copy and you know gaming companies got theirs at whatever so they're going to underprice them by four dollars because they're just they're desperate they're like uh uh, this price is going to keep dropping i got to sell right 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 now and then this leads to the race to the bottom which we see every single time but at a certain point keep in mind the same thing we've seen many times before is going to happen. Japanese activated agents are going to look at the prices for some of this stuff and go, nope, that's way too low. Scalding Tarn here sells all day at such and such a price. So we will happily snap off 20, 30, 40, 100 copies at 
the opening weekend prices, and that's going to create this reverse trend line. And then the rumors are going to start to circulate. Somebody's going to go in the Discord. Hey, what's up? Scaling turns up fifteen dollars in the last thir- three hours. I, and then, I like the language of uh, activated Japanese agents. Really, very, very sinister. Well, it's it's the, the guys who are always on the down low, buying inventory and shipping it off to Japan, and not making much hype about it because they don't want people to understand that process. Yeah, I mean, I I know what you meant. It's just I, I'm just amusing to hear it. Um, I, B- bottom line is this: I I it whatever scaling turns low is this weekend. I'm willing to bet it's lower than it. It's low will be in eight weeks. Uh, well, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, frankly, it's hard for me. It would be very hard for me to try and tell our listeners that they shouldn't buy as many foil or border scalding tarns as they can get their hands on. Essentially, like what Saturday afternoon or something. Well, I think inventory will hit overnight on Monday. Thursday because I think they're allowed to sell on Friday. So I think basically it, it, at two a.m. this this Friday. The, the answer here is to have memorized what happened with the mystical archives and have a very well, good idea of where the prices went on that timetable. The thing is, and even if you wait, wait, even if you don't have like, even if you don't remember, if you're like me and you don't remember precisely when that low was, you can go back to the graphs and go, okay, well, these seem to have bottomed out about four or five days after release essentially um and kind of work from that data point and and if you go into this going okay i expect you know if the scalding tarns go on sale on uh, what tonight's tuesday night if they go on sale on thursday i'm expecting the low about 48 hours later and if it's been 24 hours and it looks like they're already starting to climb back up then i move now Right, like I don't wait the extra twenty four hours, but the mystical archives are what I would use as my frame of reference to see how many days does it take before they find roughly their low. And they're not the same product formulations, but that's okay because you're just using it as a general guide to get close. I mean, if you're within ten percent of the low, even fifteen percent, you're still pretty happy. And to, to to my point from before, I was just saying that if I if I see something that I think is really good. And I'm like the like the scalding tarns here, and I'm like, ooh, 150 is already tasty, and we're expecting a price drop soon. There is a part of my dumb brain that if it drops too much, I now begin to doubt myself. I'm like, well, hold on a second. Like, do I have information wrong? Like, maybe this isn't as good as I thought it was. Maybe it's not as popular as I thought it was. Because why is the price dropping so much? Well, uh, and I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying that's sort of like and I, I, that sort of nature where you begin to second guess yourself if it feels like the data isn't lining up quite with what you would expect. It, two points. One, Strixhaven is a weird comparison because of what happened with the set booster versions of the Japanese foil mystical archives, where Harry Yuya decided that they were superior and assigned a huge multiple to them. And then the fact that you could only get them in the set booster boxes set off a stampede where people were trying to target Channel, Grape Shot, Ephemerate, uh, Time Warp, and other cards on TCG hoping to find a set foil that they could sell at a price that was dictated by Japan. Like We, we organized a $6,000, almost $7,000 buy list to Japan this week uh, on set booster foils that are going to get are being dropped off at Harry Yuya for 
pretty solid profits, even though the prices have retreated some. Um, and so that's a little wonky because it definitely interfered with the natural flow of the Mystical Archive cards, where a pile of cards that were important in Japan but would not have been considered to be the important cards here suddenly were a thing. Like, nobody was talking about specking on Channel and Grapeshot heading into that release. Now, with the Modern Horizons 2 premium stuff, we've got a, we also have a wrinkle. <laughs> because one of the vendor major vendors here in Toronto, who's one of our Discord members, uh, reported that when they were cracking product last week, the old border foil fetches they pulled were fully foiled. As opposed to the way that old border foils coming out of uh, Time Spiral Remastered looked, where they look much more like the originals, where it's basically the borders that are foiled and the art uh, and the text box are much less so. So he informs our Discord. He informs Twitter. Wizards gets in touch with him. Wizards puts out a statement saying, we think this was a misprint, like that, like the stuff that they got was isolated. But oh. we reach out across our network around the, the planet and realize, no, 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 no. There's versions of this popping up in other places in Canada, face-to-face -face games in Montreal opened a bunch like that. Brazil opened a bunch like that. Smatterings of them elsewhere in the US. Uh, and so it looks like significant portion of the print run of the CBs is going to be coughing up old border foils. Now, is it 3% or 13% or 26%? We don't know yet. But those old border uh, foil scalding turns that you order on the weekend on TCG Player, if you don't have pictures, you might not get the desirable version. Well, I, which calls in the question which one's a desirable version at this oh, point. Oh, it's definitely the one that looks more like old, like people were expecting. There's no... Uh, I mean, are you talking about treating it as a misprint? I I, I would do that... Essentially, yeah. If it w had, in fact, been isolated to just like a single vendor, they're worth an astronomical amount of money. If it's 3%, you're, you might still be right. They might... They, and if it's 13%, you might still be right, just that they are that much rarer. But... Yeah. But if it's, you know, 25% or higher, then it's just the worst version. Yeah, I mean, there's some number where that's true. I don't I don't know if it's 25% or what it is. But it still makes it that's real risky to, to be ordering them on TCG Player and then facing the hassle of having to either roll it into your own collection and swallow it or having trouble reselling it later because your buyer on eBay is going to tell you that you, you're shipping them a fake card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would probably just do it on TCG Player and hope for the best. Um, but I could understand not wanting to do that. But it's going to be a no... I mean, really, like, how are you buying these cards otherwise? Well, buying them in person or by based on Facebook pictures, I suppose. Yeah, like, I, just... I think getting, like... Facebook often has good deals on this kind of stuff opening weekend anyway. But you're going to be in competition with other sharks that are circling that are also going to have the same things on their mind where they're going to, it's going to be like the first person that says, Hey, do you have a photo of that? I just want to confirm how it looks. And they're going to make it sound like they're doing a condition check, but in fact, they're checking to make sure it's, it's the, the preferred version of the old border foils. Right. So <laughs> that's going to throw a wrench in the works and could chill people's willingness to order on TCG. Like prices might get pushed further down. If that represents a significant chilling effect, if that knowledge spreads wide enough, it's going to, going to be interesting to see it play out. 
But I'll tell you for a fact, if old border foil scouting turrets get anywhere near or below $100, I'm revving up some cash. Okay. You're getting, it, you're getting in on them. I mean, I think you're going to get the opportunity. Like, what do you think I'm going to sell my Japanese foil scalding turns I bought, say, two years from now? Uh, let's see, this is such an unfair question. <laughs> okay, so I, forget the Japanese. What what would your target... Ac- let's say you can get scalding turns at $82 this weekend. What is your target exit and how long do you expect to wait? I'm very patient. Like you're gonna so, you're gonna go last man standing again? No, nah, I mean maybe, maybe not. I mean I would probably it kinda depends on what the market's doing, but I would probably shoot I would hope to see three hundred within a year and a half, I think. I mean that regardless of how much I pay for them this Boy, weekend, whether if, I buy it or not. If we've got I think that's my goal. If we're facing a triple up on those, drop everything and just buy those. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like I, for all of the I, I for how much I'm hassling you about your 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 statements in the past, like eighty dollar even a, even a hundred dollar old border foil scalding turns are probably probably let me put it this way probably better than everything we had on our pick of the week. What are they What week. are they worth in five years? I see now see that I think you're probably not that much further past if they're three hundred dollars in eighteen months there might be four hundred and four years like I feel I mean we've talked about this before where these cards have ceilings effective ceilings and that that has that the the math on that and the the opinion on that has changed over the years um where it used to be you know different kind of classes of cards had sort of different soft ceilings um but Though we feel like we've blown past a lot of those, even still, I think that you know fetch lands, any version of them are going to be hard to get more than four hundred bucks a piece for, for the most part. Probably worth you know considering that the original Zendikar expeditions, which are several years old now, uh, the are down to thirteen listings on TCG Player. Lowest price is two thirty two, highest price mid three hundreds or whatever. A few yeah. couple more years on those, they're going to be four hundred dollar cards just be, through attrition, right? And yeah, but, but I think they and I think that that semi proves my point. Like, granted, those are not as nice as these old border foils, but they are quite there at this point, quite a few years older, and still some people will like those a, a, a bit. Um, and they're still hanging around in the two fifty ish range, and they've been there for a while. So probably safest to be whatever low is. We're looking for a double up, and anything beyond that is kind of the same situation as we got into with the masterpiece inventions, where it was just like, okay, if I can, I didn't see a five hundred dollar masterpiece soul ring coming, but I'm happy to sell into it. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side of this, you know, I'm talking about there being a rough ceiling of three to four, maybe four hundred dollars on a fetch land. I would not have told you that I could get a thousand dollars for an invention soul ring, uh, and I'd have to go back to my email. I don't think I did get a thousand dollars for one, but it was damn close. Well, so well, and here's the thing: the inventions were by and large, not always, but by and large, the biggest money cards there were EDH things that people bought one of one of at a time. And I'm willing to bet you that people, most people, the vast majority of EDH players that own one maybe own one and they put it in their favorite deck if they have soul rings in their other decks they're of lesser varieties the yeah. 
I don't think people are, you know, putting... Every EDH deck I have starts with a $1,000 $1,000 bill. <laughs> so, but I, I think people could easily be underestimating the importance of an old border foil scalding turn. Like, Phyrexian Vorinclex in, in January is basically a meme card, right? It's just like, oh, we got the Phyrexian Elishnorn before, now they're giving us another one, they're, they might do a cycle over time. This is a good card, like it's good in EDH, but it's not an important constructed card by any by any means. It's not even that important or iconic of a character. It still is holding $200. Scalding Tarn, not only do EDH players that, you know, whales that play EDH have interest in this card, but legacy players will have... There are lots of legacy players that, be, that might have old border foil fetches from Onslaught that get to put the Scalding Tarns alongside their Flooded Strands. So they're buying four, and the modern players are buying four. That's a big, big demand profile difference that helps up helps make up the gap that these are fancy rares and not fancy mythics. Well that's that's the uh that's the fetch land promise here, right? Is it's like, wow, okay, you know, I, I'm excited for cross cross-format exposure on my specs and fetch lands are like just literally every format like what format isn't going to run these you, if it's legal it's played heavily so vintage legacy modern uh well i guess not pioneer edh um cube uh and you know it all it all adds up so that's that's a real appeal here the question is you know if, if these are 80 to 90 dollars on the weekend you know, yes, you're probably supposed to buy them. I think the question is, what do you do if they seem to be petering out at 120? Like, you're still probably a buy, but, you know, if you begin, now that we've been talking about them at 70 or 80, it's, that's less exciting when they're 120. All right, so let's talk about one more category. I want to talk about brickable cards. These are cards that are, they, they also probably have some overlap with underrated, or maybe you look at them more as it's a niche card perhaps for edh but it's one that is so obviously aimed at that niche that any future like any future cards that might activate that card are are only going to make sure that your brick pays off on some kind of mid to long-term horizon and i think from modern horizons uh two a couple of cards like that are tireless provisioner that's the uncommon two and a green for three two landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you create a food token or a treasure token. So in those like tokeny strategies, that seems like a brickable card over time. Like currently, the normal versions are on TCG Player at two to three dollars. It's probably going to get pushed down under a dollar pretty easily here, and you can take your sweet time waiting for a big thick brick of them at lows and then dive in and prepare to send them into a buy list in a year or two alongside while you're at it you may as well buy academy manufacturers that's the one three for three if you would create a clue food or treasure token instead create one of each so basically anything that ties into those kind of strategies that wants to just make a shit ton of those tokens it's going to run a manufacturer from here to eternity and it's not the kind of card that's just going to slide into the EDH decks they put in every four months, put put out every four months because they don't they won't necessarily have those uh, focus points. But they're the EV has to bleed somewhere, 
and it's going to bleed less off a scaling turn than it is off an academy manufacturer. So I'm in no rush to pick those up at whatever they're posted at, because I think you, with those kind of cards, you've got plenty of time to wait. You know, you might see a really tempting bargain on 50 copies of these this weekend if somebody posts them real, real low, and you can take a take a bite and then watch to see what happens. But generally speaking, if Academy Manufacturer is currently posted at $3, I'm happy to wait for it to either be a dollar or just opt out of the opportunity. Yeah, that type of stuff here, I feel like you really want to give it a nice period of time to settle. Because you're not expecting a really fast turnaround time anyways, which means you have the luxury of giving it some room to fall and the and the floor of it is likely to last longer effectively because it's not as um it's not going to turn around as fast anything that you're buying a brick of is not going to move quickly that's because you know obviously if you can buy 70 copies at once there's not there's a lot of supply out there relative to the demand so you have a much broader window to time the bottom and if you want to, like, reality check some of your stuff, you can do things like go to CK's buy list or Cool Stuff Inc.'s buy list or, or whoever's buy list and take a look at rares from Modern Horizons and see how many surprises are on there versus what their price point was in the summer of 2019. Right? Like, what what are they offering on, you know, Sisse, Weatherlight, Captain? What are they offering on Ayula, Queen Among Bears? Where I'm sure like when we did talked about that set, we were like, well, if any bear deck ever, you're going to use Ayula. All right, but there aren't that many bear decks getting made. This is true. They do not make a lot of bear decks. Yeah, something they, whereas something like a Kaya's Guile, Kaya's Guile got real cheap up front. Kaya's Guile was basically bulk and is currently $450 uh, cash, $585 credit on ck so you're looking for that kind of a card that's going to see play in both modern edh and is going to get real pushed down real low and i think academy manufacturer or something like a sylvan anthem i saw i think we had sylvan anthems in the group buy for like 60 cents or something Some, something ridiculously low price um in in the group buy this week uh, let me just oh double check geez what it, that low what it, let me just double check what it was I have all those orders in front of me right this second. It was $1.64. And the current price, according to TCG Player, is closer to 5 That's the one, the rare enchantment that uh, is two green. All green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever a green creature enters the battlefield, not a non-token creature, any green creature, you scry one. So that's green creature and token strategies, and EDH will run this card for a bajillion years. Now it's it's worth pointing out worth pointing out that you're talking about the TCG player price, but we know that all that stuff is going to drop this weekend. Sure, but if our entry in the group buy was buck sixty four, that gets pretty close to the you know the, my if you're expecting it to drop seventy percent from current pricing, you're getting into that range, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're yeah, you're still going to come out ahead pretty much regardless in that scenario. But Sylvan Anthem could end up being a buck ninety nine midsummer. Right, so like I mm-hmm. definitely not fussed about trying to pick up huge bricks of it at five bucks this weekend. If it goes from five to four, I'm waiting to see it, to watch it go lower. If yeah. I don't have opportunity, like if I don't have access to group buys and I'm just random player 
fooling around on TCG Player. And then there's stuff like, you know, your... This is a final comparison point. You got two uncommons. You're trying to figure out which one you want to brick. One of them's called Squirrel Sovereign. Other squirrels you control get plus one, plus one. And you think Chatterfang's super cool. Or you could put your money into Timeless Witness, two and two green, which is basically an eternal witness that can eternalize and come out as a 4-4 black zombie on the second pass. It's a shame that uh, the Eternal Witness version with Eternal Eyes is not Eternal Witness. Yeah, the first one wasn't Timeless Witness and the second was was Eternal. Yeah, that would have been so perfect. So the point I'm trying to make is the Squirrel Sovereign might seem really good alongside Chatterfang today, but once the Chatterfang hype dies down, and I don't think there's any chance that Chatterfang is a... um, uh, a top 20 general maybe even for the year and the thing about chatterfang is it's a good spec not because it's a general you build a squirrel deck around but because it's just good in token strategies because it doesn't need it makes its own squirrels so its second ability can be useful whether or not the rest of your deck is squirrels and it triggers off of tokens coming into play not squirrels so it's just a good token card Whereas Squirrel Sovereign, that you might think you want a brick of, is only good in Squirrel decks, because it only makes Squirrels plus one plus one. I guess you would also <laughs> run it in your uh, Changeling decks, because it would make all your Changelings plus one plus one. But Timeless Witness is much more likely to be brickable, because it's utterly generic and just generically good. We know Eternal Witness is one of the top green cards of all time in Commander. This is a slightly better version of it. This is the brick of those two choices. You want the thing that it doesn't it doesn't depend what commander is doing well this month. It just depends that people are playing green and Timeless Witness will get there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I would add the caveat that I actually think the squirrel card is probably pretty reasonable. Um, I would have to go back and look at more of the squirrel-related cards that have been printed over the years to see how they've handled on a long term i haven't spe- really specked on any of them but i know squirrels in general have um maintained surprising popularity over the years which is why we have chatterfang now so the squirrel squirrel card specifically might do okay uh i don't think they'll do as well as the new eternal witness for sure but against other odds and ends you know common uncommons they could be surprising um you know in the same way that like those cards that let you run any number in your deck just seem like Eh, but they still sure do manage to make very good bricks every time. I guess the other thing, I, the last point to make is probably is more of a, you know, borrowing from Jason's own mouth. Don't buy the commander, buy the cards the commander needs. So if you identify a commander that actually is going to be a big deal this year, and frankly, out of MH2, I don't see any. None of them. You know, I think Jason prefers Lonus, if, if anything. And I think Lonus will be re- like a moderately popular commander over time. But I don't think there are any top 20 commanders out of MH2. I think Yeah, I- Chatterfang seems decent, but um, I don't... Yeah, I would agree that he's not a, a long-term addition, major addition to the format. Just a side note. I got my ass kicked by Usri Fortune's Flame in the draft last night. This is the 2-3 flyer. When they attack, they choose a number between 1 and 5. And their flips are either 
wins, they draw cards, and on uh, the other side, they take two damage. Two mm-hmm. attacks in a row. He goes for the full five on turns four and five. Rolls four out of five wins on both of them. Draws eight <laughs> cards and loses four life. Are you effing kidding me? That'll teach you to uh, lose coin flips, James. He, I mean, it weren't my coin flips. That, that is ins- you, you, you lost that coin flip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lost the coin flip in life at the end of that process. Like, completely ridiculous. So, you got S-tier staples, like your Ragavans. If you believe in the card and you think it's going to continue to do well, you're looking for a low and you don't necessarily need to wait that long, especially if you're talking about premium versions. You might get a very good entry point now. Even if it dips even a little bit lower later, you're probably going to do fine in the one-year horizon that we normally work on here. So don't be too scared. Something like an OBF Scouting Tarn might be the most important card released of the year in terms of premium cards. And I think it would be hard to argue otherwise. And between that and things like the uh, old border foil force negations that are only in the CBs, because they're only in the CBs, they're going to get opened early, not later. You're not going to see a lot of those entering the market six months from now. And as a result, if you see a low and you know you want them over the next four or five days, you could probably at least dabble. And if it starts to get real crazy, you know, you see those scalding turns down at $74.99 or something but only three or four vendors have them at that. And then they jump up another 10, 15. Like that's one of the things I look for. Like when people are undercut by a lot, they will tend to get sniped off because they look like such a bargain mm-hmm. um, yeah. versus, versus a cascade. Like if you find, see everybody undercutting each other by a dollar and there's 300 listings, then you don't need to be in a rush because it's a lot harder for the market to reverse the trend. You got your underrated cards where you're, you're hoping to brick before the market comes to grips with, uh, how good the card is, but you better make sure you're right. You got the activated cards where you want to get out while the getting is good, like your Feasting Troll Kings. The long-term plays. We didn't talk about this, but just quickly, Yavimaya Cradle of Growth. You don't need... No one's buying four of this card because it's legendary, but it's it's going to get there. Like It just needs time. So Cradle of Growth is going to be like the world tree that we were talking about from Call Time, where it might be a two or three year horizon, but it's going to double or triple. Because it's mm-hmm. a unique card, they're not going to reprint, etc. And then you got your trap cards, your cards that you you think are going to be awesome all of a sudden, and they they just aren't. Like in in the case of uh, Dermotaxi, sure, <laughs> which which I did not buy yet. I have not bought. Uh, I've seen zero copies of that card so far. That that card looks bustable, as we've discussed, and other people have discussed. I saw some a little smattering of early testing on it, but people seem to have given up on it pretty quickly. <laughs> And it, it's the kind of thing where I could easily see that doing nothing for two years. And then if, if there was such a thing as an SUG tour, some rando gets a deck tech on something they top eight. You know, somebody, yeah. a Sam Black is going to table a Dermotaxi deck out of nowhere. People are going to be like, holy shit. I will remind you that the um, Nourishing Shoal Gristlebrand deck that came out of nowhere was fully legal and modern for something like three years before anyone played it. Yeah. So, all right. So that seems like a pretty solid wrap up. Uh, folks in the Discord have follow up on any of that. Want clarifications, or they, people want to try to take me to task on me thinking scaling turns could be hundreds of dollars. Uh, you know where to find me. Where can they find you online, Travis? 
Well, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter as well at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. Also, I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again... (laughs) <laughs> once again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock including the best in match together in single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com and save five percent off your order and support this podcast uh, that brings us to the end of episode 266 uh a lot to discuss here i like our i like our sleeper pick so when we post the show notes it's not going to be evident in there but it'll be a nice little bonus for the people that listen through (laughs) um next week uh we'll talk about some more magic cards i presume thank you travis we'll see y'all next week in another episode of mdg fast finance (laughs) 